This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm here with the return of Keith Decent. But before we talk to Keith, let's take care of a little bit of biz. Listen, you've you've heard you know what I'm going to say. You gotta you gotta you gotta seal your knives and your hammers and your axes with something. All that steel and that wood ain't going to be you know. It needs a little bit of help. Get yourself something that smells good, looks good, finishes easy, food safe. You know what I'm going to say, guys? Axe wax. Axe wax is an all natural food safe wax for your axe, your hammers, your knife, your steel, your Damascus. I just put away a couple knives to glue up for the weekend and I and they're carbon steel and I just wanted to make sure that the humidity in the shop didn't you know potentially rust them so I've put a little slick of axe wax on them and there it's just I have I have I'm safe I feel safe over the weekend especially if it's a little damp get yourself some axe wax go to axewax.us put in promo code fullblast 10 and you will get 10% off. Or if you're in the UK go hit up UK knife supplies that's uh Toby Morell's joint he's he is nice enough to uh, accept Full Blast 10 for 10% off your Axe Wax. And he's taking it on the chin. So if you're going to go get some from, from Toby, buy something else from him because he's a good guy. He's doing a good thing. And I appreciate the fact that he's honoring Full Blast 10 when he buys, when you buy Axe Wax. So AxeWax.us, that's that. The next thing is, once again, you really need to really reconsider your website and what it means. It's going to be something that's going to help you. It's going to help you because it's going to answer questions for your customers. It's going to allow you to not have to go back and forth in the DMs answering dumb questions. Let's face it, ladies and germs, you get a lot of dummies who ask you some bad questions. So why don't you get a website that's going to answer those questions and you're not going to be irritated like I am. You're not going to be irritated. Go to akinteractive.com. Uh, slash full blast and Andreas Kalani will design you a new website and he'll be and you can tell him you can say listen Andreas Kalani Golden Kalani you got to make it so I don't have to deal with these rabble and I, I can't take it anymore I can't take it I can't take it anymore they're driving me crazy and he's gonna say I got you because he's a maker and he knows what you're going through he knows the nonsense you have to deal with and you want to be working on the stuff you're supposed to be working on not dealing with these people some of these people you just can't Okay, so the other thing is, is if you already have a website and, you know, you just need a little sprucing up, he's going to do it for you. He's got uh, 25 years of experience as a graphic designer. He all will also, if you decide that you want to get some tabletop stuff, some signage for when you do a, a convention, he'll take care of you. He'll, he's all squared away. So go to akinteractive.com slash full blast, and he's going to give you 10% off when you get your stuff from him, you got to reconsider. You got to make your life easier. And you, know, you that's the key. A good website will make your life easier. And that's what you want. So go get yourself a new website. Get yourself a lax wax all squared away. I got another. We are going to have another sponsor coming on soon. There's gonna, we're going to get some discounts for you, everybody. And we'll talk about that when it comes down the pipe. But in the meantime, welcome my friend, Keith Deason's back. Keith Deason was here a couple weeks ago, and we had this interesting conversation, and 
afterwards, I had this idea that I wanted to do with, with Keith, a show I wanted to do with Keith, and just seemed like it was a great opportunity. Keith, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? Dude, those rugs you're doing are so fun. They're so yeah. much fun. It's 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 insane. It's it's more fun to even make them than it is just uh, just like watching them. You know, like there's something about it. It's it's something about the process is just really really enjoyable. If you're not following Keith Deason on Instagram, shame on you. He has he's I, this is I feel like where you're watching this very very quick evolution because this whole this these I feel like they're sculpture. Keith, I feel yeah, like they're sculpture to me. That's uh, it's funny because I was just thinking about that the other day. Like exactly that is that I'm trying to write up like kind of a tutorial for people to like evolve the rug making into from like what I see a lot of beginners doing to to kind of where I've gotten to and then from there to like where I want to get to. And uh, I've I've noticed I've been trying to analyze what people are doing that makes their rugs kind of turn out in the same way, which is kind of fu- fuzzy. Which is funny because their rugs uh, they're all right. fuzzy, but the imagery is fuzzy. And it's it's it lacks definition and it lacks kind of um, a professional quality to it a lot of the time. And I think what people forgot, what I realized was that it's a 3D medium. Uh, it feels very illustrative. It feels really a lot like you're just kind of like spray painting lines onto a canvas almost, you know. But yeah. uh, there's a 3D process going on. There is vo- volume to to the to the tufted part of it. As the thread goes through the canvas, it becomes a sculpture on the other side, and you can shape that sculpture with various tools just like you can shape wood or metal. So wait a second. So when the, so when you're using the tufting gun so if you if you're following along, you actually if you want to hear about more of this, listen to Keith's episode a few weeks ago. Uh maybe a month or month or two ago. It, it, it's so when you're using the tufting gun, you're you're you stretch your canvas uh up and down so it's eye level. What I love is I'm going to just kind of take it to take you through the process. You come up with the the design on Illustrator. Uh, I use Illustrator, yeah, just because it's you, something I'm fluent in. And then you shoot it on an overhead projector onto your canvas, and then you draw the lines out. Yeah, that's that's my process specifically. Some people just do the uh, they just go straight from the uh, they get a digital projector and they just project it on, and then they they do all the tufting straight with the uh, with the projection running the whole time. And I did that the first couple of times, and I realized that if I don't trace it, and if I kick the stand that holds up the uh, the entire canvas, and it moves like an inch, or I, I I you know back up into the project into the projector, it causes a whole lot of issues for me in the middle of the the rug. Well, that's your next you know you know that that's going to be an incarnation is you're going to have to go halfway through and then move, and then you're going to have to move the image. So yeah, you, yeah. you know that's going to have to happen. <laughs> yeah, do a little do a little. Um... Cubism sort of thing going on, maybe. All right, you I, know. Had, I had a happy accident actually this week when I was doing the 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 rug, the uh, I Jessup rug, um, where in Illustrator I was doing a 3D uh, effect just to make it easier for myself to make the uh, the rugs have kind of a 3D effect, and um, and I, I didn't group the objects properly, so every single object instead of the entire image turned into its own 3D object and tilted, and it turned into this crazy looking like I want a poster of it. It looked really good. It looked. Huh. Uh, it looked like retro video game meets like kind of like digital art deco print. So once you have it traced out, when you're putting on the tufting gun, are you are you? I didn't realize that you're when you're got the tufting gun up against the canvas and you're shooting the. I guess shooting is the right word. Yeah, yeah. you're be you're on the you're the, you're coming from underneath the. In if you were to look at a rug, you're actually building it from underneath. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't know that. I thought it was up. like for some reason I thought you were in the front, but that yeah, makes no, per- and that, that screws me up all the time because you got to do the image backwards for the transparency, and then again on the um, on the uh, on because you're you're working from the back, so you got to work in reverse on the image, which you know anybody so who la- makes works will tell you they've screwed that up a couple times. Last time we talked, you were doing these beautiful distorted uh, ice cream images you know there was ice cream truck and then you you see the image and then you'd get the ice cream and then the ice cream was melted or fucked up from the factory or whatever and then you you, it it was not what you expected to be and you were celebrating that imperfect this yeah and then you did the you did this awesome guitar this really awesome guitar which i was excited about because i'm I'm convinced that you at some point you're gonna have to make sculptural objects like these are gonna have to be three-dimensional i have ideas for stuff like that as well yeah i I definitely want to be skinning something with with um with a rug that I made, but it's going right. to be, it's going to take a, a lot of studying and pattern making. And the I connections. I don't, I don't do textiles <laughs> almost at all. So, and there's going to have to be connections because now all of a sudden, if you do like, let's just say you did a cube, you're going to have to rectify those exactly. corners, yep, you know? Yep. Exactly. And then now you're celebrating the nichiest of niche. Like I thought you were niche. I thought you were niche all already by just using a tufting gun. And then you were real niche by by doing like a fucked up ice cream. And now you're doing you're doing your favorite makers. Yeah, I just keep cranking it down. Um, yeah, I did Jimmy. Well, if you're if you're ever gonna do like a portrait series of makers or anything like that, Jimmy's a great place to start because a everyone already recognizes him. Right, and he's and gonna post it on his story. He's gonna post it on his stories. <laughs> And that's great. And 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 three, um, he's gonna be okay with it, you know. Yeah. Like he doesn't give a shit. So, and that's that's kind of. And then Pat Lap, he just looks great. He I, the second rug I did was Pat. Uh, if anybody doesn't know Pat Lapierre, he's uh, a wood turner from from uh, from Canada, and he's a great dude, and he is indescribable in his own way. And you should just go take him in on, in your free time. <laughs> and then I did Jesse as the as the third one, uh, Jesse Weta, who. Anybody who listens to the show probably knows. I, I love, I feel, see, what interests me about all of it is you can, in a very, very short, I mean, when did you start with the tufting gun? Uh, honestly, um, just a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, maybe six months ago. See, so you see, you don't often see a real evolution in skills and ideas in six months. Like, I feel like this is what Instagram is for in regards to being able to see what an artist is doing. A lot of times, like for me, Instagram is just completely something to, as a business. Like I, I see, I try not to, you know, I give a little bit of here and there, but like the posts I post are for, you know, it's potential customers, you know? Yeah. But what you're doing is you're, you're allowing people to see your growth, which is so unusual. And it's in such a short period of time too. I feel like it's important. I, I, I've taken to the rug tufting pretty well. Uh, I don't know what it is about it that speaks to me, but like it just does. It makes sense. And uh, just been really enjoying the process. And like it's really good. At, it's a really good process for getting incrementally better if you know what the next step you need to do is. Right. You know, if you can identify the person who's making something that you want to emulate and then you can like watch like what I do is I see that and then I watch their process and I try to d- dissect because not a lot of people post as much of their process as I do. A lot of people are kind of played the plate a little closer to the chest. So I tried to dissect that. And then I want to disseminate that information because I want other people. And there's a lot of people who are in the beginning stages of just getting a rug gun or interested in it or have just started and they, they need a little direction. And I'm like, I'll just say flat out, this is how you do this next thing. Like if you want it to look this good, 
if you want to get your color block separated better, if you want it to look more solid, if you want it to look tighter or looser, like this is what you got to do. You know, there's not yeah. a lot of people out there doing that specifically. They're just kind of do, a lot of a lot of them are just kind of doing like, here's this cool thing I made. Like, here's a sped up thing of how I made it. You know, is there like a rug tufting community? Oh, yeah, totally. There there's is. A, yeah, there's um, I mean, it kind of centers around this one website, Tough the World, which is like the big name right now in, in supplies. Um, and then you got like the influencers and stuff like that. I don't know specifically who they all are, but there's a couple people like Curry Goat. And there's this girl, AJ, who does great stuff, makes great videos. Um, it's a lot of a younger audience than, uh, than I'm, I'm usually dealing with, especially with woodworking. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of very cool young kids. Um, which makes me just being the old man in the group. It's, it's kind of fun, but my understanding from woodworking, it's funny. Cause like everyone always says, you got to use your unfair advantage. And to me, I'm always like, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. But like, you know, is it ever really that unfair? You know, uh, but in this in this sense, it made it it actually made me think of it because I'm coming from the woodworking background from a, a process oriented workshop background to this textile craft where people are just sort of doing it in their living rooms. And I can approach the problems in a much different way and how to solve them. Like uh, everybody's complaining the the website Tough the World sells a rug shearing guide, which is essentially two pipe clamps that strap uh, sheep shears down to a piece of acrylic with a hole in it. So it's essentially a wood plane right. but made out of sheep shears and, and acrylic that, that flatten the top of your rug. Right. When you're done I got you. tufting. Uh, they sell it for $75. It's, it's two pieces of wood, two pipe clamps. Um, well, they, they use nicer straps than that, but still, and a piece of acrylic. So I was like, okay, uh, no one's made a video on how to build one of these. People have made videos showing off the one they've built. But no one's made a process-oriented video that says, here's what you need, here's how you build it, now you have it. And I come from a universe where that's all we do, you know? Right. So it was easy for me to just jump in and be like, well, here's how you do this. And uh, the video hasn't taken off, but it's helped a lot of people. And it's gotten a lot of um, a lot of attention in, like, the subreddits and, and on a couple of websites, so. Are you going to be blackballed from the tufting world by giving away all the advice? <laughs> I mean, like, look, what are they going to do? Not give me a 15% discount code? Like, come on. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Like, I don't need to buy a frame from them. I don't need, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if what I'm doing is good and legit and like I can get it out there, like they should come to me at the end of the day, you know? Damn, look at you. Get come to me, tough the world. Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> I'm the one who's going to bring these goddamn tufting guns to the to the real world, not these children on the internet. Well, I mean, they will too. They, they got, you know, crazy big audiences, but I think going at it from a, from a tutorial, from an educational standpoint is a little different than what everyone else is doing. And it's funny because it's the opposite of what I usually do. I usually go at it, go at woodworking the way they go. They they uh, show the rug tufting stuff, you know, just kind of inspirational, like, you know, check this out. This is what I did. Like, you know, you don't need to know the whole process. But I'm really niching down into the process on this for them because a lot of these people don't have the background in, in like, I can't just be like, oh, you just need a couple of hose clamps and you got to, like, right. cut a hole in this in this piece Problem of solving. acrylic. I have to be like, you got to get this acrylic blade. This is how slow you go. You got to drill holes in the corners, you know, like really kindergarten it down for everybody to get them to the level that I'm at. That doesn't surprise me at all. I think that YouTube has become such a great, uh, I feel like it's like a starter point for people's education. But what I'm noticing, especially in the knife world by like a mile, is none of these people have ever worked in metal shops. 
Mm-hmm. So there is a very, very low level of understanding in regards to what it's like working in metal shops in terms of uh, deadlines, expectations. There's this like weird Peter Pan situation where they they almost a lot of them just think that well you know you just do this and then it happens as opposed to there's a lot less problem solving than you you believe I mean I'm surprised I'm not surprised is basically what I'm saying yeah yeah it's, it, and that's what it is problem solving I'm teaching these people how to solve problems like somebody who makes things uh, along the way while teaching them how to do rug tufting you know but that has to be like a that that I think that has to be an experience thing. I think that has to be like a, you know, you and I are a little you're younger than me, but I mean, I think that that comes with just age, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it, it does. But also, you have to have somebody there point you in the right direction. You know, like I don't know if I'd be doing the woodworking if I wasn't able to watch Steve Ramsey's videos early on. You know, hmm. and get and get a couple pointers here or or, or Wood Whisper or or Jimmy or anybody like that. You know, like I don't know if I I, I would have been wandering in the dark. Trying to go to like lumberjocks.com and, and, and sift through 5 million forum posts, you know? Is that yeah. really a website? Lumberjocks? Oh, yeah. Lumberjocks.com. It is one of the biggest and has been one of the biggest woodworking forums on the internet for a long time. And I don't know why it's called that, but I can hazard a couple of guesses that would probably insult the, the majority of woodworkers. <laughs> so, you know, we'll just lay I off mean, that. I mean, none of these people really think about what they're going to do. They don't really no, no, think about yeah, the ramifications, was, you know? I was I was talking to my friend Alex about uh, about um, really weird names for, like, niche communities on the Internet and, like, how people respond to, like, equipment um, like equipment shootouts. Like, he, he, he does a lot of synth stuff. And he was talking about how, like, there's this company that does, like, um, they kind of, like, rip off designs for synths and... Uh, they put them out there cheaper and stuff like that. And there's like this whole war in a community about like what's better and like 55 minute videos about the specific differences inside the machines and what they sound like. And I'm like, that sounds like the woodworking community, especially like this, this, uh, this certain website. And he's like, what's it called? Like Lumberjocks. He's like, why is it called Lumberjocks? <laughs> Lumberjocks. <laughs> Lumberjocks. It's been that way since like, I don't know, probably 2004. And you like can't that. change it now. No, there's no way you can change it now. But like, look, no, I've, I've seen people standing next to their work on that website. Not not a single one of them is a jock in any sort of way. <laughs> but you see, when I think of the word jock, it's never yeah, a no, dude. It's, the, you're, yeah, you're, it's your, it's your, it's your lower you know, front parts. Yeah. Yeah, it's your your jock is what you put on before sports to cover your crotch. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's what to hold a cup in for Christ's sakes. So, like, <laughs> anytime someone you know you hold my jock, it's just like yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I, who was I talking? You know, I was talking to Leah Arapach a couple of days ago. Uh, she was on the last episode, and 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 we were talking about I don't know, we were talking about her episode uh, uh, yet last week, but also her being on the show uh, uh, Metal Shop Masters, which I get a lot of criticism. I get I got a lot of phone calls. I get a lot of DMs. I get a lot of de- uh, texts from very very high ranking metal workers. It's like you'd be surprised. <laughs> And it was a lot of it was um, a lot of it was based on a lot of it was based on the the bottom line was a lot of people felt like I gave that show a pass. And it was interesting because a lot of really fucking good dudes were very much along the lines of uh, when Leah got kicked off, I turned the fucking thing off. And what was interesting was the reason why I'm bringing this up in terms of bad names is I was talking to Leah and she goes, oh, yeah, you know, there was this uh, uh, there was like a uh, Instagram uh, uh, page called like welding porn or weld porn or something like that. And she's talking about weld porn and they, they were talking about the show and stuff like that. And I said, just do me a favor. 
you cannot ever really have any faith or trust in anyone who has porn in their last name of their Instagram or website (laughs) because it's some horseshit. I mean, it's already horseshit. If they got to like throw porn in on their, on any part of their name, this is not a legitimate play. I mean, you know, yeah. This is not the Harvard of welding. Yeah, also, <laughs> also you're, welding say, you're saying flat out as welding porn. It's like, hey, you know who we should uh, remind everybody of? Like one of the most exploitative industries for yeah. <laughs> for people you, of all this time. This is both uh, lumber jocks and weld porn. It seems as though they're trying to make the, the assumption that once you read our content – it's erection time. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like it's just so <laughs> unnecessary. It's like why do we have to bring that food? The whole food porn things makes me disgusted. Uh, all these guys who, when they make their briskets and they squeeze the juice out of it, oh that God, makes yeah. me disgusted. The fucking Salt Bay, throw him in the river. That's enough <laughs> with him. I don't like the slapping and the sexual thing. It's just like just let just. Do do me a favor. It's interesting because, like, actually, when I was talking to Leah and the people I was talking about uh, or talking to, who were very upset, they were. There was a lot of people who were telling me that it's just a bullshit show, and I, I gave them a pass. And what I was trying to let them know was, I appreciate. I appreciate what they're doing because I feel like it's a stepping stone in the right direction. Yeah. This isn't the best one, but it's like. Now you're starting to see metal artists or metal workers or welders or you're starting to see them and at that this is not the nirvana this is not the nirvana of no, this is the the, the 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 zenith of what we're gonna get hopefully. hopefully 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 this is the stepping stone for better and the other thing is is the fucking judges that show listen to this podcast and so do the goddamn <laughs> contestants so i had to be careful of that and i also had to be careful of the fact that i really didn't i wanted to make sure that i was protecting leah because yeah. leah is amazing she's incredibly talented and she doesn't need any problems so like and you know we she if i one of the things about this fucking podcast is if i had a, if i had the after shows recorded, less stuff I'm not supposed to record. This mm-hmm. would be the spiciest show of all time. Oh, yeah. Every no, single of one of my, every single one of my guests, when the mics turn off, they say, "What? Well, here's what I really have to say." You, and it's just, just like, keep, yeah, you should keep recording that and then sell like the the premium Patreon, five hundred bucks a month. Oh, dude, I have it from all of them. I have it from all of them. They've this all, would be they the, all... D- the DVD extras when you're all done. I've heard some. I've heard everything. some. I've heard the spiciest of spice. It's great. And it's, but it's at the same time, it's just like, you couldn't be a little brave for me, you know? Yeah. yeah well, no, of course not. Cause everyone what, wants to get on Netflix at some point. You can't just uh, shit talk everybody. Uh, well, you know what? It's, it is, it is the case. It is, that is the case. Uh, I shit talk to magazine and I'll never be in it again. <laughs> I, uh, I had a real, I actually, I know I had a I had a problem with the magazine that, uh, is it, will, will it be unnamed? Which, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, might as well be unnamed. I'm, I'm trying yeah, to I'm I mean, trying to rehab it, it, my not for my benefit. I I've, I don't read metalworking magazines or no. It is not so. a metalwork. I have never I have never gone dead bad <laughs> on a, a metalwork. It's a cooking magazine. No, it might no. be something to do with a county that starts with W. Oh, <laughs> it might be a magazine. Oh. <laughs> it might be okay, a come on. All you, gotta, all, you gotta do, all you gotta do, all you gotta do, is like go make a knife in Putnam County, and they'll uh, they'll put you in ten <laughs> magazines there. Like, it was not Putnam Magazine, but it was something close. Yeah, no, I'm saying like if you just cross the border, like and make a knife over there, like you can't you can't be be a, be an artist in like the Hudson Valley and not end up in five magazines at some point in your career. Like it's just you know. Well, the the funny there, there, thing there, about, there would be plenty more. Don't worry. I'm not worried. The funny <laughs> thing about this particular one was they did a. 
they did a non they did a pre Christmas what you should buy your friends mm-hmm. for Christmas thing and then they put my name in it and they made it seem like I have stuff on hand, which you know, I can't oh, yeah. I can't I cannot work fast enough or have stuff on hand. Most knife makers, even especially my buddy, like a holiday rush magazine oh, issue comes I mean, out like, like on December tenth and everyone's like, Oh, I want that. So they said, well, number one, they said George Fader. That was number one. <laughs> and then number two is they, they just said I was like I had stuff on hand, and it was they made the assumption that I was like, you know. And then I wrote a – I wrote a – to the editor, I wrote a spicy message to them. I should have waited. I, I wrote it at like 4.30 in the morning. Oh, uh, yeah. And I probably should have waited. And then uh, the response back was – Icy is a good way to say it, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, I got an icy response back. Uh, I refer to those replies as standard. Yeah, it was. It would no. This was like very boilerplate. He was. He was bit. I snake bit oh, yeah. him, and uh, it was one of those things that he uh, he didn't really take kindly for. And I realized that I could have probably done it better. Uh, basically, it was along the lines of you know you could have called me and I would have told you my name is not George. You yeah. know, it's like I mean, like honestly, fuck, like fuck that. Like they're a magazine. Like come on, you're printing someone's name. Print the person's name. Like. How much do they really have to check up on on this holiday Christmas list where, like, that is a list of names and products, you know? Well, like, the George thing would have been – the George thing was irritating. And then I may it's or just may like not a mar- have... It's just like a marker for the general – like, you know, if you put out a crappy article that you don't that you didn't give enough of a crap about to, to name check one of the people's names in it properly, then, like, how are you going to get mad when someone calls you out on it, you know? He, that, he it, that it was a bad article. Didn't take it well. And then I may or may not have gone on a podcast and referred to it as a, what was the exact, a third-rate magazine <laughs> fit for White Plains Dental Office. Is. Yeah, well, I think, I, I think or, or like, a, this magazine is fit for the bottom of a carrot, a parrot cage. You know, yeah. I think I was like, I, didn't, I don't think I took it very well. And then all of a sudden my it's invitations the, the, that I normally the, get It's are, the magazine that nobody picks up when they're walking out of Slave to the yeah. Grind. Like, yeah, it's the one that's like seven years old in the dentist's office. Yeah. I actually uh, I actually know the one of the market guys. And, and I, at some point I have to say to him, like, you know, you never, you guys never invite me to any more events. Did I say something wrong? Did you, is, that, uh, is that a possibility? Blackballed from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You know what it is. So, but, but really what I found, you know, just compelling in general is the way people find out about, um, things especially like the maker community and what i what i noticed for me is you know i started metalworking when i think it's 1992 and then after college 96 i was doing it professionally for a few years before i went to the restaurant business and then i left the restaurant business and then got back into it and when i got back into it i went to this i was a, a welder and fabricator at the center for metal arts when i was in florida new york and what was interesting was was this was the, the internet was fine it was we're talking 2000 2002 2003 2004 and youtube was just kind of starting when did youtube when did youtube start youtube was like 2006 2008 in that okay. area yeah so like i think it started was, in 2006 but in 2008 it started becoming a little more of like what it is i feel like i heard about it in the beginning stages while i was listening to the radio driving to work and 2006, I was working at the Center for Metal Arts as well. 
And this was the beginning stages of people kind of seeing things. And this was really, this was, I guess, MySpace had already kind of happened and Facebook was starting. Yeah, Facebook was probably just starting. MySpace was probably still pretty big because it was the only, I mean, besides YouTube at that point, it was like MySpace was like the only media sharing social media site. Like, you know, you could put music on it and put pictures and whatever. But yeah. Yeah. And I just remember there being this, especially when you started working with blacksmiths, there was this concept of what in the, the cultural idea of what a blacksmith was and the organizations of Banna and all these other blacksmith organizations. It was just like, you know, older guys, you know, there wasn't a lot of young people. Um, yeah. And then once kind of social media hit also Alex Steele fell into that time period. I mean, when I was 2006, yeah. he started working for Brian or working, uh, taking classes and, you know, he met he and you can listen to, I did an episode with Alex Steele, uh, Christmas time or something like that. And he talks about how he went, he saw, he didn't find out about it on the internet. He saw, he went to, a like some, uh, blacks, you know, like, a uh, event at, at a field, you know, like, uh, Oh yeah. Like, like, like you do. Yeah, like you do, and then he, that's how he found out about it. And then as he kind of grew into, he kind of grew in the perfect position to be a young blacksmith on the internet. Yeah. And what you're noticing is is that there was this complexion change in terms of who was looking at blacksmiths. Because when we had classes, everybody was on the older side. There were not a lot yeah. of younger people, and the younger people were brought by their parents. You know, as opposed to guy, and you know, if you want to talk about a a knife maker who started very young, Josh Smith, who owns a Montana Knife Company, a buddy of mine, he was the only reason why he's he be, he's still now the youngest master bladesmith there ever was. I mean, he got became master bladesmith I think under twenty, which is crazy. He the only reason why he got into bladesmithing is because his little league coach was Rick Dunkerley, who was a master bladesmith. Yeah. So like, yeah. there was no. He got lucky because there was no, he wasn't looking at YouTube. You know, he was, you know, he just happened to, his coach was this like incredible craftsman and then they yeah. kind of put him in, involved with it. When you start to see how, how much younger and younger makers are becoming, it's very, very clear that it's because of this new technology and this new social media and this kind of younger uh, form of, um, this younger form of, you know, information finding. Like, it's a hipper way for people to see what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, it all comes into the feed, and then it catches more eyes, and people start latching onto it. And you know, it, as, the, as the bus rolls by, people started hopping on, and that's that's how you get it. It's not, not like it used to be, like you were talking about, where it was like you had to be exposed to it in your life, and how many people are exposed to blacksmithing, especially in their none, life? None, Z I mean, none. None, zero. The rug, zero. The rug tufting thing, would it, it, without the internet, there's no way that happens, because... Oh. I can't imagine like, what the rug it's, tufting it's like, game is It's like, like 300 guys in Indonesia were the only ones who were buying rug guns until somebody started putting it on TikTok, and then you couldn't get a rug gun for like six months after you ordered it. Like, really? Oh, yeah. That's like in the beginning of the pandemic. Not beginning. I guess around the middle when I got my first gun, the one that broke on me. That was right when it was like had just taken off and uh, was like viral on TikTok and like starting to hit Instagram and the other, the other channels as well. And people were starting to kind of congeal into like communities. And you start to see like the rising, like the Alex Steels of rug making start to kind of rise up, you know, like the because every, every movement's got like his rock stars, you know, um, rug making has it. Alex Steels like the rock star of, of blacksmithing, like you can enjoy his content or not. He's got the the depth of knowledge that he has, but the, the dude is uh, charismatic. He makes good videos. He looks good doing it. And it is, it's exciting and it brings people in, you know, and he's young and he's young. 
exactly. He's got he's 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 got that shit, you know. And there's people. There's this dude Curry Goat who dresses like uh like a like uh he's walking down the 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 runway at the Met Gala and he he makes rugs and he's like a British dude. He's infinitely charming. He's like super soft spoken and cool and he just makes really cool rugs and he's like a huge star because of it. So what are some of the hashtags people should be looking up to get find, get involved with this rug community? Oh, uh, rug tufting, tufting, tufting gun. They're all out there. You know, it's not uh, tough. Tuft at the world is another one. You better it, you better get on, involved in that Merkin situation before it becomes a real <laughs> viral monster. Merkins are going to be big. Yeah. Custom you know what a Merkin is, right? Yeah, I know what a market is. All right. Everybody, if you're listening to this, that's your 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 job is to look it up. I ain't that telling you. S- safe search on Wikipedia market. <laughs> yeah, put it on your dark your dark safari. Don't in, in, incognito <laughs> mode. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that this concept of passing along generations is not something abnormal in terms of, you know, attracting younger people. And one of the reasons why I wanted, you know, I wanted to have you on is because I really, I know you're a big comic book guy, old school comic book guy, and so am I. I started to think about the the derivation of comic books, and I was thinking about like how these companies were making comic books. I used to hang out with some guys at DC Comics and back in the late two thousand, the early two thousands, and they were you'd be shocked at how few comic issues are actually sold it's it's a little bit oh, surprising yeah. like the super uh, the, the most famous superman comic is like a little over ten thousand issues <laughs> per you know issues sold to copy sold it's a it's a fucking hard game yeah it's 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 worse than books apparently like it's uh oh, it's terrible you know. terrible yeah. so what i was thinking about was how i read this article about how the the reason the the reason why I was thinking about Robin Batman and Robin lately because I've been watching this goddamn Titans. On, I've been watching uh, Titans too, actually. <laughs> I got I got some opinions on Titans. Titans. Yeah. Some are mostly good, but some are. It, it, it was it was really dumb for a while, and actually got weirdly good in the last season. I have no idea why. The but, one thing of, that I started to think about was the concept of Robin, like the yeah. Robin character, the Batman and Robin character. And the, the beginning stages of comic books, you know, the original detective comics, Batman was like this detective and he was very ghoulish and stuff like that. They felt that they needed to create this child sidekick um, yeah. because they f- these comic book writers started to realize that if you can have your reader imagine that there, th- that could be them you're going to sell more comics. Yeah. So there was this huge there was this huge um massive rise in every superhero all of a sudden had a sidekick. Oh yeah, the Bucky Barneses and the uh the Speedy, Speedy and Wonder Girl the, I could, and I couldn't, you know yeah, Kid Flash. I yeah, mean. Kid Flash. And it it was interesting because it was really it became this selling point of ways in which to get young people more interested in comics. And you think to yourself, young people weren't interested in comics. Well, they weren't interested enough. So they had to make these like, they had to make these superheroes less gritty and more like these parental units. And then the, the sidekicks were more like you, when you read Batman and Robin, yeah, it's where you want it to be. You want to be running around next to them. Totally safe, but also in the middle of the, of the, of the, the fights and the fun and the, you were Robin. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, it is, it's an avatar for the kid. It's it's the insertion point for the reader, essentially. Like, yeah. So then, you know, if you really kind of look at the most classic of all these sidekicks, you start to think about Robin. You know, Robin yeah. is really, 
And the character Robin is probably in the in the realm of comic books the most interesting history of a character development over generations. One of the things about all these comic books like even you know Superman and and Green Lantern and all these comic books is the the original characters is always the most compelling as it goes through uh different generations of time. And the it's hard for them to develop. You can't kill these ca- characters off. People just lose their minds. You know, you start oh, yeah. killing them I off. I mean, they always come back. That's the, the joke in comics. It's like, yeah, he's dead, but you know, come on. It, it's but it's but at the same time, can you think of it? It's actually, you know, now that we talk about it, can you? There's think one of famous any... example that's a joke in the comics industry of the one person who has stayed dead. Who's it's that? Uncle, Uncle Ben from Spider Man and he's Thunderbird only... and Thunderbird from the X Men. Yeah, yeah. The only heard. Native American comic yeah. book character in all of Marvel comics. Marvel didn't really do the sidekick thing very much. I'm trying to think back. I mean, obviously here and there they did, but I think what they did was they made the sidekicks the main character, you know? Like Spider-Man by all by all stretches of the imagination when he was when he, when he was conceived of, he was written much more like a sidekick in DC than he was written like a Superman or a Batman, you know? Like his the, entire the, story is about being flawed, vulnerable, young. He was in high school. You know, like Marvel's putting at high school kids. And, Stanley, uh, Stanley hated sidekicks. Yeah. He hated I mean, sidekicks. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, he probably saw it. He's probably like, why, you know, Robin's more interesting than Batman half the time. Why not just do, you know, an issue but, of where, where, where he's the guy. But that particular character, Dick Grayson, the Dick Grayson Robin yeah. is, the one that's the, is the one that's worth a damn because he's the original Robin and then he gets as there as society is growing. All of a sudden, you can't have this kid is getting older and older, wearing like this weird outfit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this the weirdest outfit of all time, yeah. and they he just grow. They he has to grow out of it. Even if, I mean, you look at Burt Ward. You know, the comic, the, the oh, TV so show. <laughs> the Burt Ward Robin is still fucking weird. I mean, it's yeah. just the whole thing is super weird. So, but what's interesting is instead of making Robin younger and younger they age dick grayson out yeah and then got a new one the re- interesting thing about the dick grayson character as as he becomes he goes from this he he is the ultimate he's the ultimate assassin really because he's been trained by batman from such a young age as opposed to batman not being coming batman until he's kind of uh, older yeah, in his he, life and he doesn't have uh batman's weird um it's I, it's basically a psychosis essentially that Batman yeah. that Batman has. He doesn't have his baggage. He has his own baggage, but he doesn't have Batman's baggage. So there's a there's a lot of comics and a lot of a lot of stories that reference him as Nightwing, which he becomes later, actually being better than Batman, uh, being better at stuff. You know, maybe not better at being the detective or whatever, but a better hero for the city or, or something. You know, it is he's the most especially when you watch the Titans. In my opinion about the Titans is I yeah. liked the. Only characters I like, I like the relation. I like the Dick Grayson character. I think the de- guy who plays Dick Grayson is great. Yeah, he's really good. And I think that he, him playing alongside the Batman, which is a tricky spot because you got they got an older dude playing Batman. It doesn't yeah, really fit the Batman profile. It's weird, but he, you know, aside from his terrible accent, he uh, he actually pulls it off in a very good way, where he just kind of broods really, really well a lot. <laughs> it's a, yeah. it's almost like they got him just for the voice. Oh, they like, totally like, got him just for the voice, and it's it's. It, yeah, well, they also got him because he was on Game of Thrones. Like he's like, that oh, guy. was he? Oh, yeah, he was like a big character on Game of Thrones. I never watched that. I, I mean, I'd say watch the first three seasons and then stop. <laughs> even if you're, <laughs> even if you're curious to go on from there, there's really no point. Well, maybe I'll have to do that. But what's interesting to me is, is they've created this like dilemma 
with the Dick Grayson character because he is he's the first one. You know, yeah. he he's the first. He breaks the mold, and then yeah. in the comic books, they get Jason Todd, and Jason Todd is supposed to replace Dick Grayson, who now they're mm-hmm. now they're they got him off as Nightwing in the Titans. And yeah. if just to let you know, if you ever want to look at something terrible, look at the first Nightwing costume. It looks like oh, it's so bad. It's meant it's very to be seventies disco, like yeah. He's like a he's like a Mexican conquistador or or, oh, or like yeah. a bullfighter, but then also mixed in with his parents were gymnasts and stuff like that. So yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah. it's just terrible. It is but not sleek. When they came up with Jason Todd, he was so hateable that people mm-hmm. started. The, the interesting <laughs> thing about comic books are they're so the, the wind blows by the dollar. Yeah. There's no artistic artistic stuff doesn't you know all of a sudden artistic uh, merit it doesn't matter anymore if people start sending enough messages saying how much they hate Jason Todd they're yeah. going to well, kill him there's off. This, there's this like uh, reverence around comics and the stories and where everyone comes from in the histories that's really hard to shake, but they will shake it temporarily. They will they will completely throw everything that you love about comics out the window in order to make a buck for that month or that year. And then they'll just bring it all back to where it was when you start complaining about it every single time. It's 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 because you can't really think of characters who are replaced where it's they stay replaced. I mean, I think of the only characters I can and I don't I haven't read comic books in like 16 years, but I'm just assuming that it's pretty much the same. Like you can't really see any original characters who don't come back because they just can't. And when I think about like you talk about your, you know, your classic characters they're all they all came from a different generation and they grew within the time they grew within has the the generate the character doesn't change but the generations change and oh, yeah. as a the, character it's accepted as a degree of legacy yeah it's actually kind of funny cuz like a good example of it's back when we were talking about the sidekicks being they wanted little boys to see themselves in the comics like literally see a little boy who is you in the comics just strikes me as funny because even back then they understood representation. <laughs> you know, that was it. That's what that is. That's representation of a white kids being in comics. Right. And then they don't go there like for another like 40 years. They're just like, no, nah, no, nah, we're not here. And like, you know, and they're like, we don't, we don't understand what you mean. Like, why can't these guys just be the people they've always been? It's like people want to see themselves in the story. You know, when you start putting that out and now Marvel has done their thing where, where they're, they're kind of, uh, they're not offing heroes, but they're, they're, doing a big uh you know three card monty game with all their heroes where like some like thor's not thor but now somebody else is thor and that's a woman and like the there's a you know it's all this kind of crazy stuff but you have certain thrown it against the wall but you have certain characters you can do that i mean the concept of thor is is... they'll always come back to it like there's no way you know like you said there's no way thor is not going to be thor in the next five years you know that's how it is and thor used to be when before thor was thor it was that uh, yeah, doctor, doctor. I don't remember. Do you remember the? Do you remember the? The uh... Uh, Thor. Thor was just a dude. He was just uh, a, a, he was a dude it, with a cane, right? Uh, and the cane transformed him into Thor. And then right. later on, they realized he should have always been Thor. So they ret, they retconned it and said that he was actually banished by Odin to Earth and taken of all his powers and memories. And when he found the cane, which was the hammer, like that, like jogged his, like that set him right as his real self because he was worthy again or whatever. But then all of a sudden now, as long as you pick up, if you're worthy and you pick up the hammer, you become Thor. So the characters don't go away. Yeah, which, they is, can a just weird, kind of be which is a aside. weird, like, you know, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit sort of situation where it's like he's Thor, but also she's Thor. Right. They're both Thor. Okay. <laughs> 
you know? now back to back to Spider-Man because I really I, so I know that you're a big Spider-Man guy. Yeah. The original Spider-Man was far more interesting than any of the other ones. The original one, he was lanky, he was ugly, he was just a dork. He yeah. was like your typical nerd. Yeah, I grew up in the post like uh in the in the '90s, Spider-Man was very much like big. Like they drew him beefy sometimes, and it yeah. was weird because it's like he's no, he's supposed to be live like a gymnast. You know, he's supposed to be able to flip around. Like that guy's not. That guy can't wipe his own ass. There's no way he's doing flips off of buildings. You know, well, and they made him like suddenly he's like six and a half feet tall. You know, and like it, and like he was that was back when he was like, I guess he was end of college, early professional career, living on his own or whatever. And it's like they they always bring him back to to high school every time they do the movies, every time they do a reboot with Ultimate Spider-Man, they did it. And it's just because that's where that character sits the best. He sits best as a high school kid who's out of his element, who now has all this responsibility he doesn't know how to handle. Because that's Except that he's, he's no a longer relatable a loser. situation. But he's not ever really a loser. No, he's like, not ever. Well, it depends on who they cast as him in the movie or how they draw him for the most part. In early, in Ultimate Spider-Man, which I think was a 2001 release, um, he was a huge dork. He didn't even look like attractive in that comic so much as he just looked like a nerdy, greasy kid in high school. Like, they did a pretty good job making him look like a lanky dork that nobody would talk to, which is great. In the 60s, when they were doing him, they made him look horrible. I mean, they, he oh, was yeah. like, he, he was horrible. Glasses, like, uh, he had that, uh, that Alfred, that, uh, that, uh, that, like, Ed Grimley haircut. haircut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was bad. Yeah. He was like wearing, and the best was they always gave him like a flannel shirt and you can't like, they never drew the flannel. It was like in cartoons where they like, they mask oh, out yeah. the person's, the person's suit. And as they walk around, the flannel just stays as a static pattern. I like love it's that. Be, like it's behind, it's one of my favorite things of all time. Cause it's like, you guys are so fucking lazy that this is how you're going to animate this. I get it. Everyone's on time and budget, but like maybe just don't put plaid on him. That's a, that's a, a comic strip thing too. Yeah. But uh, what I always thought was, was, you know, I, I think that the movies have been really great, but it really would be far more interesting if he was, because I mean, when they, when, when they were, when they created Spider-Man, they were really once again, trying to attract children and yeah. they weren't trying to attract like the sportsmen and the jocks. They were trying to attract the dorks who were yeah. like going to read comic and, and, books. And it worked. And it worked. <laughs> You like, know, like gangbusters. I mean, come on, Spider-Man is the archetype for that that type of 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 outreach to nerds, essentially in terms of pop culture. Like he is the pivotal point where someone was like, "I we need like these shy, lonely science kids. Like they want they want to see themselves in a hero way." And that's what a lot of Marvel comics did, where they were very heavy into science fiction, and and that's how smart people getting powers because of their intelligence, uh, vil- heroes or villains. You know, you you weren't just seeing like the smart guy's the villain, like the smart guy's the hero, and he's nerd, and he's got a crush on his girl, and like maybe she'll date him, maybe she won't. You know, one of the things I loved about Spider-Man the most was he was one of the only superheroes that actually ate things. I always used to hate it, like you know, these X-Men would go on some sort of like space mission, and no one had to go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. no one ate anything, no one was thirsty, but like Spider-Man was so poor, he had this apartment like somewhere in Manhattan where it happened to have a skylight. That's how he got in and out. And he, he didn't, he was, he was, he was, he was constantly dodging his landlord Mm -hmm. and he, he, all he could hope for was some crackers with peanut butter. I love that. That was, that was such a huge way to make uh, of of the genius of it. What Stan Lee was like making him relatable was, was to say like, 
Yeah, this is. I mean, that's like if you're that kid, if you're if you're the poor college student living in the living in a shitty fifth floor walk up with no with uh with no screens in the windows and stuff in like you know 1970s New York, you are also eating peanut butter crackers because you don't know what you're gonna do next. You know. Do you think that 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 Spider Man could have been created for the first time now, um, with the popularity and the legend? Like, I don't no, think it could no have way. been the legend that it is now. No, because they've they've. I mean, the thing is, well, now it's it's tough to think because we live in a world where Spider Man exists, you know, right? Um, and and so much of our pop culture and and anybody who's tried to invent Spider Man now has tried to invent Spider Man now. You know what I mean? They're not they're not out there trying to. I guess one of the closest things I can think of is probably, and I hate to say this because I didn't really love the book or the movie, but Ready Player One is along those lines, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I saw the movie on a plane. Okay, so you get where it comes from. The kid lives in the slums. He's a, he's a loser nobody. He's poor as shit, and, but he's this big hero at the end. And people only sort of know who he is, you know? There's a little bit of play and secret identity there. There's a little bit of that kind of stuff, but it's it's the same thing. It's humble beginnings, nerdy kid, gets the girl, is a hero. Still, at the end of the day, though, he takes off the mask, essentially. He takes off the, 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 the goggles, and he's still got all these problems, you know? Hmm. I, when I think about how, if they were to create Spider-Man now, I can't help but think that maybe he would be, like, on the verge of being, a, like, a school sh- shooter. Like, he would be, like... This kid who's bullied relentlessly, Flash Thompson is like humiliating him. Yeah. He, his his parents are dead. He's living with his aunts and his uncle. He doesn't. She don't like it. He's got no friends. Tougher to, tougher to do it today because it's like. <laughs> and then to... he gets like the superpowers, and then he instead of like being, I like the fact that Stanley made him like decide to you know be a wrestler and just get money yeah. instead of like exacting revenge on the school. Yeah, 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 totally. Like, that would have been the now thing. It would have been well, like, I mean, I'm going to kill like, In a lot Flash of the early comics, he, like, you know, he teaches Flash a lesson and then kind of realizes, like, I, I shouldn't be doing this, you know? Like, I got I to gotta pull back on that because this is what got me in trouble earlier, you know? Yeah, but you know that, like, if it was, like... One of the, oh, yeah. The I mean, great... The great. I mean, the only reason why the Avengers movie is around is because um, they made a comic book. I don't know if you read The Ultimates. I did, yeah. I mean, I read parts of it. The Ultimates were, they did a lot of things to a lot of characters for the Ultimates, and I was like, okay. They changed the, the Ultimates was the remake of. They, it, was, it was like, what if the Avengers were like set in modern day? Yeah, it was like, what if the Avengers were gritty early two thousands characters? Like, yeah. And then that's where you get Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. I mean, Which that, is Brian so Hitch. Good. Brian Hitch drew him as Nick Fury, and then he kind of alluded to Iron Man either being Tom Cruise or or, or um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. But he created these characters that were far more flawed. Like Captain mm-hmm. America was like not a good dude, I and mean, he was no, like, yeah, he was like an authoritarian, like he was crazy. Yeah, he was and super like, crazy and I mean, very Reed violent. Rich, and... Reed Richards became in that universe. Reed Richards became like a huge supervillain that like tried to end the universe a bunch of times. That's as far, I only got as far with the. I think the Ultimates might have been the last thing I ever bought, 
Yeah. And it was interesting because it did it did set us along a really better pattern for these movies because when I was a kid, the only way you could see Spider-Man was on the Electric Company. You would hope mm-hmm. like the Electric Company was kind of like one notch, a couple notches up from Sesame Street, yeah, and there'd yeah. be a dude with a, a Spider-Man costume, and then you know you'd see five seconds of him, and you just kind of cross your fingers that Spider-Man would be on. The and Electric then, Company incredible. being the, spirit, the spiritual predecessor of Kids Incorporated, which was my my version of that show growing up, which was like the you're you're ten now, you don't want to watch Sesame Street, but here's this other thing. Right, right. Yeah. It it is it is cool because you know then then there was the you know the the seventies Spider Man cartoon and stuff mm-hmm. like that and you were but I showed those to my kids and they do not understand why it's like that. <laughs> no, I mean it, it was it was hard to it, if you all those cartoons were hard and you know what's really kind of weird is Hanna Barbera had a had the best cartoons of all time and then they also had for some reason they had the rights to uh, Fantastic Four. Yeah. In the beginning, they were it was Ben Grimm, uh, Reed Richards, and Sue Storm, but they stopped with the Human Torch because there was this rash of of these issues where kids were setting themselves on fire to be the Human Torch. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. So they had that. this robot. They had a, it was yeah. The f- no, I remember the android was the Human Torch, and in the comics, the android was the Human Torch first. Uh, he, what, was bu- he, he was built as the Human Torch, and then they later replaced him with Johnny Storm in the comics as the Human Torch. Um, but that's funny that they went back, brought out a, a scrapped character from the comics to get kids to stop setting themselves on fire on a TV show. Well, the, um, but the t- on the TV show, it wasn't, it was a real robot that didn't t- turn into fire. Like they had to completely change, they, they took oh, out right. the Human they, Torch yeah, character. They, they gave him like a robot butler or something essentially, didn't they? It was this tiny little floating robot and he was the fourth. Yeah, and it has like nothing. The they relief. wanted no flames. Like there was no fire. There was nothing that. Because I even remember John Bur- uh, John Brine, John Brine, John Byrne. I don't remember how you pronounce his name, but he was he. They did an episode, uh, a comic episode of the of the Fantastic Four, and it was wrapped around the fact that the Human Torch influenced this kid to go on the roof and douse himself in lighter fluid and light himself on fire <laughs> and it was this whole thing about how don't do it you know it was yeah, like it don't do won't that. work yeah. it yeah. will not work you will not turn into the human torch no, and then Hanna Barbera had to just like say we are going to do the, the Fantastic Four but we cannot have the, the human torch on this because people are going to these fucking kids are yeah. lighting themselves on fire that's insane I it's mean, ridiculous it's, insane. It's, it's what happens with people but like yikes yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I mean, I knew kids were like jumping up houses and, and stuff to fly. I didn't know about literally setting themselves on fire first. That is. Oh, that was a huge. That was a big problem. Like these kids were number one. I mean, the the Superman thing. People were jumping off roofs and stuff. But I mean, and that, and the, that kid's friends grow up into people today who say things like, you know, we were just left on our own all day long. We played outside and it was totally fine. Everyone was fine. <laughs> we were just lighting ourselves on fire. We just a torch. Johnny lit himself on fire and jumped off a house and he died. But you know, small price to pay for. And that also, speaking of Spider Superman, in terms of like how we see these heroes, which is very interesting, is a lot of these comic book characters kind of started from the original ideas have completely been washed away. Oh, yeah. Well, Superman was like a villain, I think, in his first. Well, Superman was really, really this the and now the, the story of the Jewish experience. Yeah. Because it was uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Schuster, yeah. Grew up in the Lower East Side with Jack Kirby, um, and they create—the story was—it wasn't, you know, 
exactly. I mean, they weren't like trying to, you know, make it the Jewish experience, but it was the concept of, you know, your home world is destroyed and you're sent away to a foreign world and then you're a foreigner and then they, you, you try to blend in. I mean, if you, I mean, yeah, I mean it, not just it, a foreign world, but like America, you know? right? And like if middle, you, middle of nowhere as America as it gets America. You and know, it's Smallville, the, Kansas. Right. This is not Brooklyn in you know, the Lower East Side of New York or Brooklyn. Yeah. This is like, let's send them to the most goyish place around. Let's exactly. go to Kansas City. And if you, some people are saying, you're telling me that, you know, you're telling me that Superman's Jewish. I'm not saying Superman's Jewish, but I mean, like, when they came up with his original name, I mean, Cal L. And yeah. his father is Jor El. I yeah. mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, those are like, I mean, that is straight off the boat. That is that's, from like, that's like, yeah. That's, that's, that's like, some Talmud names, for yeah. Christ's sakes. I mean, that's it's like, that, come on. It's like right out of the Torah. Like, I mean, it's crazy. Cal El, all of a sudden, it's just like, where do they come up with Cal El? Cal El and Jor El sounds like they came right out of the, right out of the, yeah, exactly. It's crazy. But it, the, the interesting thing is, is the whole, the whole original idea is not this blonde, blue-eyed, serious, you know, character, and he's got darker hair. Mm-hmm. And then they sent him to blend in by moving in with the the whitest of the white, the Kents in in this yeah. cornfield in gotta, Kansas. And he's got to tone down everything that he is in order to, in order to pass as as one of these people and not be and not be persecuted, captured, kidnapped, and 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 imprisoned somewhere probably if people knew who he was, or or just outright killed, you know. I, or, dri- I, or driven out of his community. I mean, the guy's got a fortress of solitude where he can go and be himself sometimes just because he needs that, you know? It, you can't, I mean, you can't dismiss their, I mean, they created this concept from their story. I mean, from their story. I mean, both those guys were born in, in New York, same as Jack Kirby, but I mean, they all lived in these, you know, immigrant areas where they were, you know, their parents had moved because after the Holocaust. I mean, no, yeah. actually beforehand because, I mean. Uh, well, they fled, yeah. They were both born in 1917, but I mean, they were witness to. I mean, at that age, you're witness to the, you know, what's going on at that. My well, dad dur- was- yeah, and during their formative years, and then when they, you know, when they're doing this business, when they're when they're in there at the age where they where they're writing these comics and stuff like that, the influx into the into the Jewish ghettos that they were living in was probably mostly people who had experienced firsthand the Holocaust and yeah. fled fled directly to where they were sitting. You know, at at that this this charged time in their creative lives this was where they were that was their environment and then how do you take this character and then how do you make this character fit in we're gonna like we're gonna like create this you know if you if you go to hebrew school you have a jewish name and then you have your regular name and like clearly his jewish name was kal el which i always thought was funny my i remember my dad was reading it was just like kal el is this where is this guy from it's Krypton. He's like, you sure about that? Yeah. Like, this is like Cal L. I mean, come on. I, I just, I, I love the idea. I don't love the idea. I think it's interesting how, as the character develops over time, especially with TV shows, he becomes far more Gentile just because it wasn't oh, yeah. ever meant to be. He was never meant to be Adam Sandler. You know, it was never, no, no, that exactly. was never the, that was never the case. Yeah. And then you end up with like Christopher Reeve, who is the most Gentile of Gentiles. I yeah. mean, you can't get much more. I mean, he, there's, there's, I mean, with the exception, he's got brown hair. I mean, there is nothing more Gentile than Christopher Reeve. I don't know the nationality of the guy that plays him now, but he looks a lot more. Um, he's English. Is he English? Cavell, yeah. All these, Ca- all yeah, these superheroes now are from not, they're not Americans. I mean, but he like, has a much more Mediterranean kind of look to him, it seems like. Even, uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the fact that he has facial hair all the time. 
but he's uh, he's English, and you know Wolverine is Australian. Dick yeah. Grayson's Australian. All yeah. of them are like, I mean, we're outsourcing all of our superheroes. Well, we found the people in the countries that look better than we do. We start giving them jobs. <laughs> yeah, and they do a better job. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah. I would, like the X Men is another great thing because like they started out, they're essentially a uh, an allegory for racism and and civil rights struggle in America, and you know that was a lot of what was going on at the time. People were writing that. And the guys that were living that experience, and uh, <clears throat> becomes the, ne- the the world around the writers become a huge part of the characters, and then those characters get enshrined into our like kind of American mythology, and then people try to tweak them and do what they can, but I think for the most part, a lot of that stuff still remains in the DNA of the character, because every time they reset, there's a certain things they hold on to, you know. The original X Men were almost just about body parts, like. The Cyclops had the vision, and yeah. he had the, the eye blasts, and then Beast had big feet. Big Beast had big feet. Yeah, big just okay. be, that was the, that, that's how you recognize them from these weird body parts. Like well, they were supposed understand. to be, they were supposed to be mutated people who were only like, you know, they're, they're the thing about the X Men is like the X Men are the ones who are able to pass. You know, they're the ones who are only they're like it's going to sound weird because I'm a white dude talking about this, but like. They're like a light-skinned black person who can pass because they only look a little bit different than what society accepts as the norm. You know? That guy's got big hands and big feet. Yeah, you dress him right. You put him in the right thing. You only go out at night. No one's going to notice. This guy's got weird glasses that he's got to wear all the time. No one's really going to notice. But then there's this group of mutants called the Morlocks who are fully mutated. They're the, they're the people who live. Right. And they, they got to they live in the sewers. They got to clump together in their own weird mutant ghetto in, like, the sewers of a city in order to survive. And then they're driven to violent crime and they're driven to, to, to robbing and murdering and becoming a part of their own organized crime, uh, syndicate that is basically, uh, comprised entirely of people like them. It, it, it's, it gets real deep. <laughs> when you, it when does you really get really get deep. It. I think that I always felt that the interesting thing about the original X-Men was I liked that they all had the same costume. Like that to me yeah. was I always liked the fact that because it it made it seem like they were all like coworkers well, and team, that yeah, like they're, they're, they're Charles uniform. Charles Xavier was running that shit and they're all wearing their <laughs> outfits and they work for him and that he's the boss and yeah. there there's no independence of of looks or costume changers and stuff like that and then as they progressed they started to and it wasn't too long it wasn't too long before they decided to to get. Um, you know, uh, new costumes and they made everybody a little bit more colorful and stuff like that. But the new and all new, all different X-Men was Mm -hmm. such an incredible change from the original five X-Men. Yeah. Well, I mean, they went through some crazy stuff for a while. the, the, The fact that each one of them was from a different continent. Yeah. You know, like you had, so Nightcrawler was from, you're represented he's Europe. Germany. He's Germany. He, he represented Europe. Banshee represented the UK. Yep. Storm represented uh, Africa. Uh, Colossus was Russia. And yep. then you had Nightcrawler. I did Nightcrawler already. You had Wolverine was from Canada. He was Canada, yeah. You had Scott Summers was American. Scott Summers and Gene Gray were American, yeah. But he, but they weren't. They didn't. That they weren't part of it. They weren't. They were not really part of that. It was. Thunderbird was Native American, and this then is, you're, ta- you're talking like the uh... original, all new, all different X Men. Okay, so that's like eighties. No, earlier. I think it's in the seventies is 70s. when I guess so they the had beginning, the beginning of like the Bronze Era. 
they had to rescue they had to rescue the original x-men and then and then they had for for asia they had sunfire which was the getting rid of him was the biggest mistake they ever made that dude was dope yeah sunfire was great there was there was there it was a whole different direction and then they weren't all you know all the original x-men were like you know saluting to the professor x and they were listening to him and the all the other the newer ones were far more they were far more abrasive individualistic and troubled as it were probably i think a lot for a long time they wanted to focus on the school in that in that time as like the the place where they all had to get together in that conflict um and that really went crazy in like the 90s when they were doing like x-men blue and x-men gold and they had like 45 it was like the wu-tang clan just like just keep adding members until you know you got 45 different comics running at the same time for all the x-men well once again all of a sudden the his the legacy. I mean, I think that if you look at like all comic books, I mean, then all new. I think of the all new, all different X Men as probably one of the last great new creations of new comic book characters because they are. I mean, now, I mean, I don't, I don't like. I said I haven't read comic books in twenty years, but it seems like they're trying. To, all these writers are trying to come up with these new characters that hopefully will stick, and they never really do. Yeah. And I was actually the funny thing is is the. I say the funny thing is way too much. I say I have so many verbal crutches, this drives me crazy. But like the Wolverine character, the original Wolverine character was designed from this. I don't know if you ever saw the uh, Paul Newman movie, Slapshot. Oh, yeah. a, I love that. I love that movie. That character, Dr. Hook, was oh, really? the original uh, idea of what they wanted the Logan character to look like. So if you look up. Uh, in the internet and you look up dr hook i think it's like tim something or tim dr hook something or other they he they looked at his i mean his he's got these crazy eyes and these like long sideburns and he was dr hook mccracken and yeah that is definitely wolverine like proto wolverine that was they have said they have john Byrne said that's that he that was who was supposed to be youtube video the inspiration for john burns wolverine (laughs) and it's a video it's like a 40 second clip of him fighting his eyes are crazy, yeah. and he's got this, like, gaunt face, you know, this really gaunt face, and that was the original face, you know, and concept of what they wanted him to be, and it was really, it was, it, it, it morphed into this weird, like, once again, they had to make him this heartthrob instead yeah, of just, well, he was meant to be this little short, hairy guy. Yeah, everybody kind of wanted, like, it's a tough thing with comics, when you, when especially the transition to movies to get, you know an actor that's that's right to be because comics characters are written really really weirdly you know there's some real weird shit going on with comic book characters that doesn't always translate to the human form as as, as, at least and like uh you know they want they got a leading man it's wolverine he's the most popular character they're gonna make him six foot tall and they're gonna make him shredded but at least like it was pretty it was as far as other representations of him have been outside the cartoon i think it was the best one we ever got so i don't understand why because Let's just be clear. There's more than I would. You have to say more than sixty percent of comic book buyers are men, right? Oh, it's it's easily like easily right. I was being. I, I want to look it up. I I, I want to say it's like eighty five, ninety percent. So like, why are they constantly having to make the the lead characters like better looking? Like I, it's just like it just doesn't make any sense to me because I, mean, I would think like, wouldn't you? And it's just you know it's it just never really. I never really understood why they had to kind of make these characters kind of better looking for, you know, male readers. Well, cause they, they never got it. Cause they, I mean, you said it yourself earlier, comic books only sell about 10,000 copies. 
and they need millions of people to go watch these movies. So they need to get people in who are not the people who are reading comics. That's why they continuously piss off comic fans when they make these changes because they don't care. They need to make money as a movie. You know, it's you're, you're transist- translating into an entirely different medium with a different set of rules. You can't just have, you know, a guy who is a head in a jar be a character for a, co- a, movie, a comic movie. You have to, you know, give him a body, give him a suit and send him on his way with an attractive looking uh, actor. Looking at all these comic books and looking at the kind of the person who's reading them and, and watching them not too far off from the people like watching professional wrestling. I, I always got this kind of a very similar feel when I was in the 80s when I watched professional wrestling. There was this, you know, you had these storylines and these soap opera like bits and you had these kind of muscular dudes constantly fighting. I always did have a problem with an, a different understanding of why superheroes always justified violence it was violent justified violence i mean if you think about all the times all these characters have been knocked out i mean they all should have you know brain massive brain cte yeah Yeah. but i never (laughs) could understand why i could never understand why in society why we accepted that vigilante physical justice was right like i never Uh, understood that because that's just because that's how ugly our society can be i mean it yeah, there's a there's been a lot of talk, uh, um, not super recently, but it's been going on for at least fifteen twenty years about Batman in general, and it's been heightened in the in the recent societal upheavals that we've had, where the entire concept of Batman is that he's a goddamn billionaire, he basically runs the city as Bruce Wayne, but instead of like investing in programs that like alleviate poverty, he just goes out and beats the shit out of purse snatchers in a big old costume like a bat and breaks people's <laughs> legs in order to go get information on how to break other people's legs and then puts them all on Arkham. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, he, own, you know, you know, the dude owns stock in all the prisons in that city. Like, there's no way he doesn't like, that's why he's not killing anybody. He's got to protect his investment. Isn't that you know? interesting? How, isn't that interesting how these characters kind of evolve and we see them differently throughout the lens of proper, you know, current society. Oh yeah. And Titans has done that with, in a, in a very big way where it's a big departure from what a lot of other uh, comic book properties have done. And they, they push with their advertising. They push it to be like, like, cause they just played the clip where Robin was saying, fuck Batman over and over and over again. But like, they really push that. Like, this is an abusive, toxic relationship that Batman has with these wards, with these Robins that he brings in. And it leads to tragedy after tragedy, after tragedy. And it makes everyone question his methods. And then he questions his methods and people refer to him as a psychopath. Cause he's dark. He's violent. You know, he's, 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 he's psychotic. <laughs> There's something wrong with that dude. That's and, the most interesting part about the, of the night. I'm sorry. You were saying, yeah, I was just saying that's what it, like, that's the, what I like about Titans is that like, that's where they go with all this stuff. And it's, it's an interesting path to go down because it makes sense. What we know about, human psyche and what we know about society and and justice and all this kind of stuff now and how to handle these problems. A lot of people are having their eyes opened up to a way where it's like maybe going and punching criminals in the face uh, for a living is not what you're supposed to be doing. You know, that's the most interesting part about the Robin character from, uh, from the Titans TV show is that relationship and the fact that there are, it's almost like it is, I, I always get like, it always, I always think it's a far stretch when they have these weird psychosexual you know, connotations and these ideas that they're actually lovers. I've always had a kind of a, I think, I think you get these, people like to get into these positions where they're, they're able to kind of make that, you know, the visual leap. And it's just like, it's kind of fun to do, but at the same time, it's just like, 
I'm not 100% sure. What I do like is the idea that in this, you know, in, in the whole Batman universe with all these different Robins and they all kind of interact with each other. It's almost like there is this almost like, well, who's the first son or who does he like better or who yeah. does he go to? Or he always goes to Dick when there's a real problem. And Jason Todd is, you know, he gets killed and then whatever and whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, Tim Drake is is never really kind of like really. Tim Drake gets kind of shoehorned in there. <laughs> he gets shoehorned in there in the comic book. And then all of a sudden now, oh, wait a second, Robin's, got, Robin's now is Batman. Batman has an atlas son with Raja Ghoul's daughter. Yeah, and now top, all of a sudden, yep. is that the real Robin? And. Da- you get Damien these kind Algul's of Robin, and then he's dating somebody. It's yeah, it gets crazy. It's a neat, it's a neat dynamic in terms of how those characters react with each other. Re- re- I mean, it is very familial in terms of like, oh yeah, you have well, this they narcissistic. They had a whole comic they called like the Bat Family. It was like Batman Inc. I think it was. He like he 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 was gone for a while, and then like um, it was it was basically all the different Robins and all the different Batgirls and everything trying to figure out how to move on without him as like a corporation or as a family, you know, as like a bunch of people that were, and then I guess he came back at one point and he's kind of running it and it was, it was weird, but it was, uh, I think it fed the Titans storylines that we're seeing now a lot, which and was it is a very abusive how, how relationship, to, how, to, how to deal with the absence of the toxic father who only raised you to do one thing. And like, you know, you don't want to be him, but you understand that his mission was important. So how do you do it better? How do you do it differently? Can you do it differently? Cause this is what you were raised to know, you know? And then they're all their relationships are like, well, who 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 gets the love, and at who gets the respect, and he only likes Dick, and you can only you can only even see in some of the even some of the scenes where Dick is separating himself out from Batman, and then Jason says he's the only, you're the only one he likes, and you can almost see yeah. the smirk, the satisfaction, like I hate Batman, I left Batman, but I'm glad I'm the one he likes. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Yeah. It's a very it is a very toxic situation and I do like that idea that nowadays people are starting to look at the concept of like wait he's this billionaire and now now all of a sudden he's not, he isn't helping people but then you know in the, in the comic books all they have to do is say oh what are you talking about he just bought this building for the you yeah, know the youth the youth of you know the down and out youth of Gotham I mean, it's yeah like, they'll, they'll always add that at the end but it's like okay but like is he though you know <laughs> like yeah sure you put that in there but like you didn't write a story about it you wrote a story about him beating the shit out of a guy who stole a purse and then using him to get information to go after a crime crime boss meanwhile why is that guy stealing the purse like what was his you know right right well i mean it is i i do believe that we've been conditioned to a certain degree I mean, when I was a kid, my stepmother used to get mad at me because I used to watch Chuck Norris movies. Mm-hmm. I remember I watched, I think it was, what was the one where he was like kidnapped in a, like a Vietnamese prison cell? He was a, he was a, it was like something USA. I don't remember the name. I have no idea. I'm sure, I'm sure it had like Target it, or Die or USA in there it somewhere. Was, it, was, it was the classic. I can't even, I watched it a thousand times. I can't remember the name, but he was like a POW and then he escapes the camp and then he gets a gun and then he gets everybody back and it's very like yeah. and she used to come in and she's like I can't believe you're watching this 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 violence and I was just like well what's the big deal I'm like letting off a, few, a little bit of steam and you definitely get to this idea that you know when I was a kid we used to watch Dirty Harry and you you get these you get conditioned to understand that the lead, the 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 crazy part is is the lead character solves all the dilemmas with extreme violence with but the extreme violence without any consequences yeah like no the consequences only consequence 
The only consequences for any of these action movies is at the end when the when he's when the lead guy's sitting in the back of the the sitting on the tailgate of the ambulance, you know, yeah. with a coat, yeah, with, with, a, with a blanket, with a, co- with a coffee cup and a blanket around him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the that's a diehard ending scene. That's the only. That's the only. That's the only thing yeah. that ever happens at the end is that's his only rest. You it know? also te- it also teaches an entire generation of people who are watching that that like. You don't have to worry about the consequences of shooting a bad guy with a gun or killing a bad guy with a gun. Like that, the, there's a dude over there with a gun committing a crime. So like, whatever happens to him, whatever this 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 main character does to him, totally justified and fine. Doesn't matter. Like it's he, generations. He, he, brought, he, he brought he brought it on himself by being the bad guy. So now he gets to you know witness the fists of justice or get a roundhouse kick to the throat that probably paralyzed him. I mean, it is antisocial. By yeah. like an extreme, we we have we have allowed, you know, how many? I mean, you could you could go back more than forty years, fifty years, sixty years. We've allowed ourselves to accept that uh, that you can use physical violence to solve any issue, like yeah. without repercussions at all. Yeah, and that not not that you can, but like as like that's the way to do it, right? You know. I've always had a weird problem with that because it just seems like we've gotten to the point where we're allowing ourselves to just say, I mean, I, I personally think, you know, I'm, I'm of like a, I'm more of like a libertarian than anything else. And I do believe in the constitution and I don't believe in changing any of the amendments. Cause once you start changing the amendments, it's like, everything's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. But I, for, for, for people to think that Hollywood is this liberal orchestration oh, yeah, no way. I mean, if you got, if you, if you, if you, if you are a proud member of the NRA, I think you need to thank Hollywood because Hollywood is like the instruction manual on how to shoot a gun. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it's just this strange, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it's just strange. And when I talk to my friend Nico uh, from the Downward Spiral, it gets a little bit weird because he's dealing, you know, he's on the set of John Wick and he's talking yeah. to, he knows all the guys are in this. And these are all very, you know, the actors are very liberal people, but then they're in these like super, super duper like violent TV shows and movies. And there really isn't this like, there isn't really this this responsibility for how you are reflecting yourself in public and because i mean you go back to like canna barbera had to get rid of the human torch and put in a fucking robot because they didn't want kids to set themselves on fire because they were doing that yeah you know you just wonder where you wonder where who's responsible and then you know how we deal with these complex issues by saying let's go watch you know thor punch someone in the face with a hammer or something (laughs) yeah it's i mean you can go into this and go on about it forever, honestly, because you know art reflects life and life reflects art, and this is and it just recursively mirrors back onto itself over and over again until you end up with some huge problem somewhere. I and it just I wonder I wonder how I wonder how I my hope my hope for right now is my hope is that the maker community gets a bigger stage. Yeah. Like I'm convinced. I'm supportive of these TV shows, even though they're not great. I, I, I mean, wanna... they're not. None of them are awesome. Yeah, but I'm I very. Forget, there's 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 an awesome one that I really like. That is it. It is maker esque. It is it is it's one of the cooking shows. Um, Bake Squad. Have you seen this one on no. Netflix? Okay, no. Bake Bake Squad. It's a it's a competition show without a loser. Uh, if that makes sense. Basically, the 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 owner of Milk Bar. What's I forget her name. Oh, it's uh, uh, Christina Tossi. Yes. She, it's her show, basically. She's the host. 
and she finds a client that needs a thing. Um, like, you know, oh, my son, it's, it's usually a sob story kind of thing. You know how it is, but it's like, you know, uh, my, my kid's going to have her first party. We didn't think we we're going to have a baby, but now it's like her second birthday party. And she loves to like, and we saw something like smash cakes or whatever. And like, people love them. So like make us something that they can interact with and play with. That's also food for their party. And then there's these like four bakers. One's like a chocolatier. Um, one's a cake, uh, maker, um, this my uh, a friend of mine is on it. It's the reason I watched it. Uh, Ashley Holt, who is a uh, she's sugar monster on um, Instagram. She is the cake lady. She's like the cake expert. So there's a squad of bakers, and they each come up with their own concept. Or sometimes they're teamed off, and then they present it. They make it. They present it, and then whichever one gets chosen is the one that is used for the event. And that's it. And then they get like props at the end of it. Like they don't send somebody home. Right. They're not cutthroat. They're helping each other out every chance they get. You know, and like, that's amazing to me. Like, that's the kind of show. It's funny because they keep making these maker competition shows and it's all cutthroat and they have people who kind of like don't really know exactly what they're talking about in there, which is in TV land. That's a thing. You need someone with personality more than they have expertise. But if you got the maker community interested in your show, like we want a good show. We all want to see a good show about making stuff that isn't pitting people against each other, but it's just like reflective of who we are as a community, which is way more helping each other out way more um collaborative than anything else way more about learning from each other uh, if we saw something that reflected that you'd have i mean a hundred thousand people making instagram stories about it talking about it on twitter like you know you'd have an entire community of people just just behind the show helping it try to succeed you know you don't get that every time you make a competition show but they see that that's where the money's at because that's what reality tv audiences want they want competition drama they want people to talk shit about each other in the behind the scenes chats you know but that's not who we are and that's not who i I think most people who make stuff in in the in the way that we all do aren't like that you know we're much more lifelong learners and and collaborative and supportive yeah and educators you know i especially with like blacksmithing and metalwork yeah, I think that it's far more in. It's it's not. I mean, interesting isn't the right word, but if you look at your standard, you know, home where there there's a shop, you know, years and years and years of of you know, you see, you know, parent, maybe a father or a mother, or maybe there'll be a drill in the house, or maybe mm-hmm. there'll be a toolbox in the house, or maybe there'll be a bandsaw in the house or a table saw, and then there's the you know, there are more people who tinker and make little things, and it's always more wood than metal. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's only more recently where you see more people having welders and stuff like that for, you know, little stuff, still stuff, because welding has always been one of those things where it's more of this, you know, it's almost there's the connotations of the middle class uh, a worker. And I actually was talking to Leah last week after the show, because one of the things about, about a lot of metal workers, is if you're an art, if you're an art student and you're a painter and you, or even if you're a woodworker, when you're going to get your supplies, you're going to go to Home Depot, you know, or you're going to go to, if you're a painter, you're going to go to the paint, you know, Pearl, Pearl Paint or Utrecht, or you're going to go to a paint supply store. But when you're a welder, or even a welding sculptor, you're going to go to welding supply shops and you're going to go to steel yards and you're going to kind of be interacting more with more middle class, working class, you know, fabricators and professional welders who don't do artistic stuff. They do, you know, your, their classic metal shop railings and whatever the, whatever they do. Mm-hmm. So you have, you become, it's, it's almost more a little bit less approachable than 
you know, woodworking. Woodworking is a little bit more approachable than metalwork, and I, I was very clumsy in that regards. But I, it's not that metalworking is 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 frowned upon. I'm saying more along the lines of it's kind of a little bit more difficult to get involved in because it's not so. You can't get welders everywhere, and you can't get gas everywhere, and you can't get all the information everywhere. You have to go to a specific place. Um, yeah, there's a there's a bit of a higher skill floor in that. Uh, in but there's also of, a fear. In terms of, yeah, there's a lot of, and yeah, it becomes, it, it seems more dangerous, obviously. And yeah. In a way it is. I mean, table saws are, are you know, I'd, I'd pick a welder over a table saw any day. But, you know, it's uh, in terms of stuff that I'm less afraid of. But fire and sparks and stuff are, stuff's hot and there's yeah, like yeah. you know you have to wear a special mask because you don't want to burn your eyes. It becomes a little bit people are a little bit more. There's a little bit more. I mean, interest in in metalworking because it is a degree more foreign than woodworking is. Yeah, you know, people use the table saw, people use a saw, people use a handsaw. People understand that, but the metalworking it's loud. Everything about it is a little bit more abrasive. It's a little bit more dirty. You'd think that there would be more interest in it because if you look at the history of things being built and the permanence of using steel, it's hard not to make it boring. It's hard not to talk about it and make it It's hard to talk about it and make it boring. You know, it's yeah. not really boring. I mean, we were talking even last last week about, you know, if you look at where, you know, blacksmiths made every single sword where every person was killed, you know, with a sword was killed by a, you know, blacksmith made that. You know, there's a history about it that's far more interesting. And you would just think that it would become a much more interesting part of popular culture, you yeah. know, than just forge and fire. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's weird. But also it's, I mean, I, I work with metal. I do fiber stuff now. I, I, I work with wood. I've done painting, but like metal work is difficult to get it to look better, uh, to get it to look good. You know what I mean? It's a, there's a much lower barrier of entry to making something that looks good with woodworking. Really? I feel like in terms of in terms of just what's available to us in terms of the tools and the tooling. And when I say looks good, I mean not like showroom art art station ready, but like if you pick up a welder and you start welding stuff, and like a week later you're still grinding your welds down to nothing. You're still things are still wonky, but like. You can make within a week. You can make a table that's pretty okay with woodworking with very little instruction. You know, yeah. well, I mean, you got all those also... guys making those American flag desktops for like ten years uh, that had basically zero woodworking experience uh, for like the entirety of the mid two thousands. People were making stuff, the rustic furniture, and selling it. You know, but you don't get a lot of people who pick up welding and like a week later have a business. You know. So how do how does this become more? How does met, making? I'm just not just talking about metalworking, woodworking, but just making in general. How does that become more popular? I mean, how do you how do you get more? Like it's it's the back to the Robin. How do we bring Robin back to make yeah. people more interested in 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 this situation? Like the sidekick has always been something that was drawing more people in to imagine them in, and I think that. You know, social media has been the way. I think Alex Steele gets a lot. He should deserve a lot of credit for bringing younger eyes into what. I mean, you think about Alex Steele, brought in Will Stelter, brought in Ethan Hardy, all these guys. These young, very young guys, and now the, the, you see more younger people getting involved in it all. Mm-hmm. What's the way? Is net is as a Netflix TV show the way? I th- I feel like it's more about showing people who aren't anywhere near that universe why they would need to be near it. Like what is useful to you or what is attractive to somebody who is not a Will Stelter or an Alex Steele about blacksmithing or metalworking or woodworking in general. 
where you say like when your end goal for whatever it is can be met through this process you should you should come and learn this process you know like if you want to be an interior designer then like you should uh, maybe you should learn a little bit of metalworking a little bit of woodworking so you can you can hire less do projects more yourself stuff like that you know or um i i feel like like you mentioned alex Steele did a lot he brought in a lot of young white dudes essentially into into blacksmithing like lots and lots and now there's uh, uh but he brought an audience that was already in a parallel i don't think a lot of people that weren't already watching videos about how to make stuff were like or or, or were already interested or had some sort of avenue already laid out before them into making things were were hopping on and being like i gotta do what this dude's doing you know but when before Alex Steele was around and I yeah. was seeing the types of people who were making stuff and it wasn't on Instagram, it was through the Anvil's Ring or through Havana and you're mm-hmm. talking to other blacksmiths that you meet at events. He brought in a younger group. He brought yeah. in the younger group because, I mean, if you look at the way trades have been in general, but, I mean, I know that you're not a blacksmith, but the blacksmith, a lot of the blacksmith thing has died off over the over the years based on how extensive it was, you, how universally important it was for generations globally is yeah. because it was phased out by the Industrial Revolution and being able to use machines that were able to duplicate the things that blacksmiths were able to do much easier and cheaper. So, and the other thing is, is there was a lot of, you know, job security in not telling other people how to do it. Yeah. You have a, you have one, maybe you have a, a um, you have a, a, an apprentice or something like that. But I mean, the job security was making sure that you didn't lose your job. So there was a lot of information not being passed along. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder why, I wonder how you bring that back. And I actually, I said this before, and I get the, the DMs on Friday, Friday evening. When this, this comes out Friday morning, the messages come Friday afternoon. I start to get, like, <laughs> DMs and phone calls from, like, you know, my superiors. I'm raising my hand. I'm calling, yeah, I'm calling yeah. you. Before you guys call me, I'm already referring to you, my superiors. So please yeah. leave me until at least Saturday. Don't call me. You know, start texting me Friday before dinner if you don't mind. Give, give me 12 hours at least. Give me something. But, I mean, it's like I get these I get these messages of saying, how come you think that this is – and I wonder what's going to happen for the for the makers because I, I think that in regards to, you know, human ingenuity and creativity and, and things that are – actually very interesting i think the maker community is far more interesting and i'm watching this south african tiktok woman who makes faces you know it's like she's great i mean she's very clever and she's a great actress but it's just like these people are i mean this is more interesting than seeing how you you know you do something with your hands and make something permanent yeah i mean that's a different audience that's people who are there's entertainment value in shaping who you are and, and building yourself into something. And then there's entertainment value in shaping the world around you and turning that into something. And you need to find the people that want to, you know, change the world around them into, into stuff and, and, and find your entry point with them in order to get them into the community. I think uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a big, crazy world out there now with the internet and all the stuff that we have, we have so much information coming at us so much, so much of the time. And you would think that like, a viral video of a dude building a guitar out of colored pencils would like create a lasting community about around people who are interested in it. But sometimes that stuff goes fly by night. They see it, they want to make it, they see how it's made. And then it's the viral videos don't add a lot to, um, to our community as a whole. I feel like the more educational and useful content does that stuff's a great entry point, 
but once once you're past that shallow point, you gotta have some. You gotta have a well of knowledge for people to start digging through to find out who they are in your community, what it is they want to do, where they want to be, and then place themselves there and and continue to add value to your community. You know, I'm gonna tell you a viral video from the blacksmithing world that should have been bigger than it was. And I'm not talking about stop everybody stop sending me that video of that dude using his fist to forge the knife. I'm not interested. It's just bullshit. It's all fucking I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy and everything it's like a that. Magic, it's a magic trick, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy and I think yeah. he listens to knife talk. I'm with you 100%, but I mean that's not the, that's not the thing. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Adam DeRosiers is a master bladesmith out of Alaska. And he did this video, and I don't think it meant to be viral, but I mean, I think the real good viral ones are meant to be viral. He had an anvil that needed to be reheat treated. So maybe a lot, sometimes uh, there are blacksmiths whose shops have burned down. And then when the shops burn down, the anvil's in it. If the anvil gets to a high, a specific temperature, the heat will ruin the uh, heat treatment of the of the anvil and make it softer. So you don't yeah. want it to be soft. I mean, it's not regular steel; it's like tool steel, and it's heated to a specific temperature and it's quenched to make it harder, right? Yep. So if like a, if a shop burns down and the anvil's still in it, it's going to lose its temper and you have to re- reheat treat it. So what Adam did was he got a crane, a crane like a like a backhoe. You know, with like a bat with a with a big claw on the end of it, or the shovel yeah. on the end of it, and then he made a fire on the bank of a river, and then he put the anvil in the river, and uh, no, he put the anvil in the fire, yeah. and he put a chain around the anvil, and then the other part of the chain was on the hook of the, or the hook of the claw of the backhoe, mm-hmm. so he gauged getting the reheat treated the the anvil by. And it was a big one. It was like it was it yeah. was like a four hundred, five hundred pound anvil. I mean, it was a monster. It was a monster anvil. Mm. And it might have been better. Might have been seven hundred pounds. Might have been a thousand pounds. The, the, kind, the kind you would go through this trouble for. The kind that if it, your if your shop is burning down, you're not going to get the hand truck to get it out <laughs> yeah, of the shop. Exactly, yeah. You know you, that fucker's in there. It'll be yeah. fine if as you long as we have the around. You, yeah, you we get the backhoe and the yeah. backhoe of the fire. We'll be okay. Yeah. So he sets this, makes this fire next to the the. Uh, the side of a river, and then he gets the anvil up to the critical temperature of whatever the steel was, and then he he takes the the backhoe, lifts it up, and then the anvil's tied to a chain. The chain part of the chain's red, and then he drop puts it in the river. But he does when when you're quenching something, you have to agitate the steel or the knife or the hammer because the steam creates a jacket, and and it's mm-hmm. called the vapor jacket. And if you agitate it, like spin it around, there's you're you're getting rid of the vapor jacket, so the the steel is quenching faster. Which so is coincidentally, he, why that guy is able to punch a steel blade with his hand. That's another it, story. That was that's. I think that's. I, like, thought it, I thought it was the same scientific concept where you create a. Uh, you you get a, well. Yes, a actually, bear, you're yeah. right. Yes, that guy, whoever he is, I'm with you. I'm not. If you're listening to this, I am not taking shots at you. I God bless you for getting on the getting on my, getting it on the internet. I just but, took um, a second to educate. That's all I was doing. <laughs> he would. Yeah, he would. Actually, that's correct. He would dip his hand in the in the in the water and then use the water as a vapor jacket so he wouldn't burn his hand. So. 
uh, Adam DeRozier did this video. It's incredible. It's really dark out too, so we can actually see that the the, the color the of the anvil. Yeah. And then he's agitating in the river, and it's this amazing video that went like viral to the point where I saw it on like it wasn't on World Star Hip Hop, but it was it yeah. was on you know like a lot of really like this is a you know viral video things. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder there. I just can't. I find it hard to believe that some of this stuff isn't interesting enough. But with that I, I, said, I think with that one, there's a gap of knowing why he's doing it. Well, I mean, it looks cool. I mean, it was dark. No, look, it looks cool, but like that's enough. It, that's enough to get people interested. Yeah, that's yeah. What, and it got a lot of people interested, obviously. But it's not going to hit that mainstream virality until uh, any any more than a, uh, a video, a really well shot video, of somebody quenching a sword. You know, is going to because they don't know the difference between how difficult it is, like why. You know why it's so hard to even just get an anvil up to heat, like a thousand pound anvil. Imagine trying to get the middle of that thing to the right to the right temperature. It's gonna sit in there for a long time, you know. But it, all right. So here's the question I have for you. I'm gonna start asking this to most of my guests. Okay. I'm giving you twenty million dollars to do a TV show. I'm not gonna ask you. I'm not gonna. This is it. You can't just keep coming back every five minutes. I want you to pitch the show, the maker show of maker shows. Oh man, I don't even know. I don't rate. T- I don't rate TV. Anything. I know, but I mean, play no, with no, it. I, I mean, I, I've what, what, about, what, what are some of the parts that you'd want to have? I'd, I'd want it to have collaboration over competition for sure. Um, I'd want it to have um, in-depth content as well as as well as the drama, and the drama doesn't have to be manufactured. If if you had enough time and money, you could be in someone's shop to catch all the drama. You know, if you. I think I think that the problem with all the maker shows is that they're shot on a TV show schedule and are not shot on like a YouTuber schedule. That's right, and that it means you miss out on everything because yeah. we 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 got the camera running for whatever we're doing in the process, you know. So we catch things and we can put them in the edit. You can't do that. You got to have writers on the show. Then you got to manufacture drama, and then it becomes a big old mess. So I I I chuck that shit out the window and just have somebody be there, documentary style, with the people, you know, doing the work. And now, and and what bothers me about it, I mean the the metal shop master show it, it seems so weird to me because it's like how can you have a show about making stuff where the stuff is made ninety percent of the way off the show, you know like well that was that, the, that was only the first episode yeah I mean but when you get to that point in the planning process of an episode it's kind of like why I mean but then you already know that they can't create something as impressive as that on in your show's time frame you know what right. I mean. Like, you already know, like, because you set that rule. Like, well, we want to make something really cool for the first episode, so they have to construct it at home, you know? It's I just... just you were going to say? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm still trying to think of what would make a good maker show, honestly. I just think good personalities, people getting along with each other. I think there's probably already these shows out there. I feel like um, uh, Laura Laura Kampf was talking about uh, the show that she's been doing over in Germany. She, she's had a couple shows over there now and they seem great. They're like a little more geared towards children, but you know, you can, you can zhuzh it up a little bit and make it for, for adults too. And which the, the exploration is in the journey of making things, you know, like Mythbusters was a great making show because it was just, I mean, as much as it was about blowing stuff up, it was also about watching these two guys solve problems in real time with their hands, with tools, with machines. You know, I think you were right when you were saying in the beginning, pardon me, <clears throat> Sure. I think you were right when you were saying that it's on a on a TV person's schedule as opposed to a YouTuber's person's it's big, schedule. It's a big part of the problem. Yeah, that's the problem with these shows is they every every single one of them. And I just recently was supposed to be involved with this uh, dude. I was supposed to do another video with Bon Appetit, 
Mm-hmm. It may happen, but I mean, they were hot and heavy a few weeks ago, and then I, and then I didn't hear anything. And I think the biggest problem was was I explained how long it's going to take. You know, the yeah. the the way that the videos normally go for this particular show. A guy rolls into the kitchen with a tuna, and he shows you how to butcher the tuna. You can butcher a tuna in a day, you know. There's yeah. no, and you don't have to change your cameras, and you don't have to like follow someone along. And you're not waiting for glue to dry, and it becomes this very, very easy to produce show because maybe it's only one day, you know. Seven. I mean, when I was on that Epicurious video, we had eight hours. We had an eight-hour day, and we finished it in under eight hours, seven hours. But at the same time, it was like there was no day two. Yeah. And when I was trying to explain to these guys, I'm like, look, I can try to, because they wanted the, you know, they want the sparks and they want the forging, because obviously that's good for TV. But yeah. it was like when I explained to him, if you wanted to, because they wanted to be very nitty gritty, they wanted to be very nitty gritty. And I said, well, there is a, there, the problem is, is that you just can't get nitty gritty really good and make a professional style knife in a day. You yeah, know, because no yeah. they wanted it. I mean, I wanted to be. They, represent- wanted, you, they wanted you to Bob Ross it. And there's no way that's happening. Well, this is the. Well, I was. Pl- I was prepared to. I was prepared to st- uh, stage every single step. Yeah. So that I could meet, and then, and then all of a sudden, it's like I'm hauling ass. I'm figuring out how to haul ass to do to forge everything and to fake the heat treatment and to fake the grinding and to fake the hand sanding. And then you're having to make all these, you know, setup points so yeah. you can do the whole, I mean, it's, it would be like making seven knives, you know, yeah. I'd have to make seven or eight knives plus do all the forging of one, all the steps of forging one. I mean, it was like a lot of work to get yeah. to the point you were where you're talking, you were talking about that on life talk, right? And then, uh, it was just I, a point where I thought that I thought that my biggest problem was is like I had to do I had to like I had to I could talk I can talk about it I can you know I was the interview was easy I mean it's just like it's the same bullshit you say every you know yeah, you, yeah. you know say every it's not I mean I know how to talk yeah. about knife making I can make it interesting yeah but it was the physical time that their crew had you know that, yeah. I think that that I believe that that's the problem and the fact that I am close to New York and it was just like everything worked out except for the fact that maybe they just didn't have the budget to send a crew up for two possibly three days yeah. You know, and that I feel like is the main problem with all these shows is they're 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 businesses and they work within the confines of their time. And it's at the it's at the it's at the the, you know, at the whatever it's I'm trying to think of the expression. I, I, I'm i not feeling feeling very good about it, but it was, you know, at the uh, behest at the at the. I can't figure. I'm like Porky Pig right now. It's like it's like it, it makes the it makes the people that are on the show look like losers. You know, it makes yeah. them look like fools. Exactly. And the fact that they got there in the first place means they're not a loser or a fool. They were. That's another thing about the reality TV stuff that that bothers me is they can ruin a career pretty easily just by bringing somebody on the show and making them look like an asshole in their first ever national exposure, and then sending them on their on their way after one episode or two. And then like you know, who's gonna buy a sword from that guy when you can buy a sword from any other other four people on that show? You know, when I had Leah on last week, we were talking. She really wanted to talk about how close she was with uh, her, uh, the one of the contestants named Seven, who got sent away on the first episode. How incredibly talented they were, yeah. and that Seven was someone who is just deserved a little bit more cred than Seven got. And yeah. she was very also conscious of the fact that. 
you know, you know, you haven't gotten to this part, but Frank, who the, the character Frank or the person, I say the character, the person I mean, Frank yeah. got a lot of problem. They, a lot of people bl- blame Frank and it was really unfortunate. And she was very, very supportive of all the people. And she, yeah. she said, Frank is an amazing guy. He's a very talented guy. He listened to this podcast. Shout out to you, Frank. I, I'm with you hundred percent. And, and, and Leah was, you know, trying to say that, that these people do get short shrifted and, and it is unfortunate, you know? Yeah. There was, there was a documentary series I was going to make when I was living in Beacon. Uh, I was going to call it Maker Town. And my goal was, because there were so many artists and people who, who hand make things in that city, I could do 12 seasons of three stories each of just the lives of people in that, in that city who make stuff. And what they do with it, why they do it, what else they do. You know, like uh, my city council member friend who is like a huge political activist that also refinishes furniture and does some woodworking. You know, the guy that uh, the guy that started up the brewery to make his own like handcrafted uh, handcrafted beers and stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that's a little bit. I think we need to get out of the competition reality show uh, genre with making stuff and explore the other genres, you know, like bring it back to comic books. Marvel, some of the best Marvel movies are where they explore other genres of movie making. Logan is a Western, you know, um, Guardians of the Galaxy is a space opera, all this kind of stuff that it's not just your typical superhero, supervillain fight movie. They, they, they explore the characters in the story in a different way where the main central theme of them, their job as a superhero is still there, but you know, you get to actually enjoy, enjoy what's going on as opposed to, I don't know, just the, the competition shows, they really bother me. I, I don't think I don't think everything has to be a competition like that. I think, yeah. it's a, I think it's a stupid way to be. And I think when the competition isn't based uh, entirely on merit, when it's based on entertainment value, uh, yet everyone who's watching thinks it's based on merit, because what do they know? Then you run into some huge problems. But we like competition. I mean, sports is, I know most makers aren't sports fans, but I mean, you know, competition is part of the human psyche. You know, it's yeah, like... Of course. But, but go ahead. I mean, like Bake Squad does a good job. They have competition every show. They're they're competing with each other, but no one goes home the loser because they might have a chance to win next week. You know, they might be top dog next time because they're that talented and good. Yeah, I was thinking when I was talking to Leah about what I would do if I had the money to just do a show. It would be like you're almost better off <clears throat> having a real art critique. Yeah. And it would be interesting to follow an art critique class from the beginning of the class through their semester because yeah. you, then you get to see the growth of the people as artists. And then you get the drama by just having people talk about work in an intellectual way and then say what's successful and what's not successful. Then yeah. you get the drama itself, but you end up getting the, the progression of all the people involved. You know, if you, if, if you interviewed every student like right after a critique, that would be some great television. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah. then all of a sudden, but then all of a sudden you also teach the viewer how to discuss art. I, yeah. I, yeah. I hate when people who I don't like art. I don't, that's not art. I, or that's, yeah, yeah, I don't, I, and I say that for a reason. I say it because I don't, because it's, it, because it does get people pissed off really honestly. Oh, of course, yeah. But at the same time, it's like. You should be able to discuss it, and you should be able to tell me why it why? is art. Yeah, exactly. And if I say something is an art, I'm waiting. I I've been saying that knives are an art for five years, Wait, four years, some on, on podcast. No one is yet to come up to me and say to me, "This is why they're art." Not one. 
Not one with like a real answer. They, they, it, most people's answers are always passionate or yeah, angry. Passionate, passionate angry or, and or, passion are supposed to supposedly or, or win. A sunk, or a sunk cost kind of fallacy of work where it's like, well, all the skill that goes into it. It's like, yeah, well. well, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like the value of the work. It's the yeah. value of your time you spent should overcome the final product, which is kind of obnoxious too. Yeah. I, I like the idea of when I like the idea that the the connections between the superheroes, the comic books, and uh, the maker community. And I'm not trying to say that you guys are superheroes because some of you guys are not. <laughs> some of not. you are, but I mean, a lot of you aren't. Just yeah. it's fine. We're, you think of yourself that way. That's cool. But we're like, fine. It's fine. We're just fooling around. Yeah. But what you got to do to do whatever you got to do to get through the day. What's interesting is is like when I had to do that thing with with Bon Appetit, the, one of the things they asked me is they asked me if I had a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of it was to see if I had a built-in audience. Oh, yeah, of course. And it's very similar to the way these comic book movies, you know, the comic book, when is the first comic book movie? It was re- the, re- good, the first good one was Batman with Michael Keaton. And yeah, one of the reasons why is because it had a built-in audience. Yeah. These comic book movies are so popular because there, you don't have to say, all right, I got this new movie with this new superhero and you should check it out. It's like, I'm in Thor. I'm Thor. Come yeah. see Thor. You like Thor? I'm Thor. Or you like the X-Men? I'm in the X-Men. And it's like you already have this baked-in fan base. And I feel like the maker community is in that situation where we all are creating our own fan base. And then we're bringing out the – when it comes to the being, being involved with these TV shows or bringing in these whatever – we're bringing our fan base to hopefully get people to watch these shows. And now what's happening is these movie companies and these TV companies are trying to use the popularity of a particular person to yeah. help promote what they're doing, which is selling a movie or TV show. Yeah, and that's just, that's the nature of that business. They want to, they want to find a subculture or a group or, you know, a, a movement, and they want to use it to, to – to, allow them to keep doing the same old shit they've always been doing, you know, and, and, and make it fit their mold in order to shove it out to their audience, which it doesn't make much sense from our perspective. But that's why I'd like to see not just makers getting on these Netflix shows and being in competition shows or being the, the person that helps out in the show. I want to see people start taking over work behind the scenes. We got people who would make fantastic producers. We got people out there who could direct it, who could direct the TV show straight up and down next week i would not doubt it knowing knowing zero about how to do it i guarantee that that there's people in the maker community who who could walk in and to and and produce a fantastic uh maker themed show on on for for a streaming service uh i think everyone's just a little stuck in in wanting to be on the spotlight part of it and um maybe not knowing each other not knowing that they have this capability but i I don't know a ton about the behind-the-scenes work of, of the of the movie and TV industry. I've worked in and out of it a few times, but uh, and been you know tangentially associated with it a few times. But I really think that there's enough talent in our own community where we could start not infiltrating, but yeah, infiltrating these yeah, companies. It, and, say infiltrating. And Infiltrating's infiltrating, good. But going to work for them and showing them the value of how we do things and showing them the the, the that the the ways they're stuck in these these weird old things that they do don't don't make any sense. Why do you need a schedule that's scheduled like uh, a TV show for someone who doesn't do that. Like it, you can have three three people in a crew 
stay with this person, work on their schedule, and you'll have just as good of a TV show as you did if you make 50 people work three hours a day for six months. Well, Alex already done that. He did that exactly, with the, yeah. the History Channel in the UK. They're just taking his YouTube videos and, exactly. and putting commercials in between. Like yeah, he's he figured just, out, he, he's cracked the code in terms of taking his YouTube shows and sending him to, you know, BBC. I don't know what the hell, like, where they're sending him, but he, they're making the TV shows directly from his YouTube yeah. videos. Yeah, it's only a matter it, of time before that's something that becomes more popular. That's what I'm saying. It's going to. And I think people should gear up for that. And they should start looking into options where, you know, if, if you're not Alex Steele, but you can make a damn good video, you make a really good looking video and you know exactly the process you need to lay down and you can schedule that thing to, to death and, you know, use, then then maybe you find an Alex Steele and you say, here's what we're going to do together. You know, I'm going to turn you into the into the, the Bob the Bob Vila of of the internet or whatever or netflix you know there you go i i look i i'm i i have no interest in being on youtube i'm sorry it's just <laughs> no, like fine. the amount of work that you guys have to do to make something good i can't handle it i can't yeah it doesn't I interest me at just all going to make something bad that's fine too I just don't want to, like, cut film. I don't want to figure out where the voiceover goes. I can't even do a reel where I set my videos up and (laughs) the music fits when I want them to. I can't do any of it. I can't figure it out. I've given up. Uh, Well, you pick the music first. That's the trick. Uh, All right. Well, there you go. So there you go. (laughs) I would rather – I'm waiting for a a podcast platform to say we want you to do a five – I want to do a morning (laughs) radio show, to be honest with you. In my heart of hearts, I want to do morning drive five days a week. That's what I want to do. Just start doing morning drive, man. I need Figure figure out a way. I mean, you can – I need help. There's there's daily podcasts that exist out there, and they're not great. I need help. So figure out how to make your good show. I need have. help. I need. I would need. I need interns. I need Baba Booey. I need, I know, I need and producers. Nobody, no, and no, and there's no, there's almost nobody in the community. Unfortunately, that feels like they they want to take a behind the scenes seat these days. No, for us. no, um, and which a, is fine. Yeah, listen, I, you, no one has to. But I feel like no one's gonna hit that dream moment without everyone else's help. And the people that can get you that can get you there from Netflix or Hollywood or Hulu or whatever, they don't know what we're about they don't know our process they don't know how to do it the way we do it so they're not going to be actually the help you think they are all i want is for the maker community to get a bigger piece of the pie i feel like there's more interesting things and more positive things in the maker community and i think that the world at large would be more i hate saying inspired but i think that there would be a lot more positive stuff in society if people were watching what makers are doing because it is much more philosophically better in in your life than yeah. you know doing you know doing these fake pranks to your girlfriend <laughs> and shooting like confetti at them while they're washing yeah. the floor you know while they pretend that they're surprised for the ninth time well, perf- you've done it can we just say the last thing on this show is all those videos everybody sends you videos of these surprise things they're, they're all fake, fake. all of them fake. are fake yeah there are no yeah. real true reactions really no no, because, I mean, like, the, yeah, anybody who shot a video knows that you're not getting that shot the first time. Not getting that shot the first time. Keith Decent's in the house. Guys, go follow Keith Decent on Instagram. Go follow his YouTube channel. He does great videos. You still haven't sent me the video to do a voiceover, you know. I, I mean, I will, man. It's, you know, <laughs> when, That's... I say, when I say we're going to do it, it's I'm not saying it's going to happen in 2021. All you know, right. This so is, This is, 
Keep your mind. eyes open. Yeah, Keith and I we'll are going to do that. a collaboration. He's going to do a video, and he's going to give me no, and I'm just going to record. Yeah, it's called a blind react. And you're a just blind react. That. It's going to be a blind react. We're going to do it. I'm going to do it for you only, Keith, and it's going to okay. be and it'll be one take. One take. I'm into it. One take. I so, guys, it. go follow Keith. Uh, and, on, and also, on, I uh, I'm going to hold. I'm, I'm going to set myself. I'm going to set myself up right now. But uh, the podcast. This comes out. This is going to come out when this episode. Friday. Next, Friday. Okay. So I got a couple. I got two days. I'm almost done with the podcast episode. It's been the first one in like nine months. It will be out from the ground up podcast. It's uh, ftgupodcast.com. Uh, it's about the history of the two by four. So, you know, <laughs> I can't wait because I want to know why it's not two inches by four inches. Sport, yeah. you know, radio tease that shit. I want to know. Yeah, well, I'm not telling anybody now because they're not going to listen to my. Eight, That's nine right. That's of- what you do at Radio Tees, guys. All the answers <laughs> are going to be. If all your answers are going to be answered on from the goes, ground up podcast. It go, it goes from a wrestling match between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan to modern day lumber statistics and and uh and and standards. So that's that's what I cover in about 10 15 minutes of podcast. There you go. Go check go after you finish this, go he'll have it up on you'll have it up on Friday, right? It will be up on Friday. I, now right. I have to. So I will I will make sure that there's a link in this in this episode for the website for from the ground up so guys go follow go support keith he does a great job his podcast is great it's very very it's not very spur of the moment it's everything's very controlled it's excellent um and go follow him and then also you'll probably see us at maker camp guys if if we're maker camp keith's going to be there i'm going to be there a few other people that you know are going to be there hopefully i'm under the impression it's going to be it's already every all the hotels are all booked up i don't know seems like it i think i might be sleeping bagging it in the backseat of my truck there you go there There you go (laughs) Well, guys, Keith Deason's in the house. He's the man. Thanks for coming on, Keith. I really appreciate it. And Thank um, you. we got some good shows coming up. And uh, just to let you guys know, I will be doing a pregame Makers Camp and a postgame Makers Camp with the Modern Forge. So the week before the Modern before Makers Camp, the Modern Forge is going to be in the house, and we're going to pregame the whole show. We're going to do Maker's Camp, and then we're going to do a post-game, a wrap-up of what happened over the weekend the next week. It's going to be a two-parter. So check out for that. I got my friend Julia Sexton's coming in next week. She's one of the best food writers around. We're going to talk some food, and God bless you, everybody. The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax, an all-natural food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots, with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.